Hello, everyone. Before we get started on our main show, unfortunately, we have to pay tribute and do an in-memoriam on another veteran of the industry that has sadly passed away recently, Eiji Yamamoto, a longtime staffer at MushiPro, who was involved in so many different series as a director and animator, Namely, some of the most classic Osama Tezuka series like Astro Boy and Kim of the White Lion. Not to mention a director of all of the Anirama trilogy, including the incredible classic Belladonna of Sadness, which is a personal favorite. There's really nothing like it in the landscape of anime films. It's like just this exploration of trauma and sexuality and finding empowerment through just rejecting the societal status quo. And it's just, it's a, it's such a loss of truly an accomplished talent that has been responsible and been a part of so many of the most iconic integral properties you know being a part of mushi pro just in some of its most important works and of course truly artful works like the anirama trilogy and it is just very sad to hear he's passed away because yeah i mean i really like his works i really love belladonna sadness i really like the other two films that i was in what nights and cleopatra uh, everything i've seen with the classic Astro and Kimba, and so many other great classic Mushi Pro works. And, yeah, it's just very sad to hear his passed away. And I just wanted to pay respects to him, send out condolences and best wishes to his friends and loved ones, and just offer a moment of silence and respect for his passing. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 176. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamarie Alger, and it's time once again to do a big old news roundup. And boy, how do we have a lot of news? There's been a lot that's been going on in the manga world. We got a lot of serialization news in particular, and we got a lot of miscellaneous news. So... We have a lot to talk about. There's been many, many things announced and going on. So many change-ups and happenings. Plus, we got new licenses and all that good stuff. So, plenty to talk about. So much to talk about that we won't be doing a catch-up on recent simulpubs or one-shots on this episode. So, look forward to that next week. Today is another completely news-dedicated episode to catch us all up on everything that's been going on the last month or so. 
Oh my god. Why is there why is there always so much to talk about? It, it's like it's like people like manga or something. <laughs> god, yeah, like we're not kidding when we say we have like a shit ton of uh simul pubs and one shots to talk about next time. Uh do not be surprised that, that ends up being a close to three hour episode. I I feel like Maybe not with every single one, but, like, some of those are definitely worth a good amount of discussion, let's just say. And so, yeah, I think, um, you know, actually, before we get into news real quick, I do just want to put it at the top of the show, because um, I, I don't think I mentioned it last episode, because we hadn't recorded it and edited it yet. But by the time you're listening to this, in case you haven't seen it yet, our latest bonus podcast on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks is now up. And, uh, yeah, basically, it's kind of a cap-off to our Kohei Horikoshi month uh, that we basically did for most of September last month. And, uh, I mean, basically, we had our good friend Maxi from French Rapper Victory on to basically talk about uh, their thoughts on Barrage since we couldn't have them on the actual Barrage episode due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, but we also talk about our thoughts on Kohei Horikoshi's original My Hero one-shot, basically the prototype one-shot to My Hero Academia that ran... Uh, in Akamaru Jump in 2008. Uh, and we basically talk about our thoughts on that and kind of compare it to the first chapter of the actual manga and basically whatever changes were made, uh, whatever basically stayed the same from the one shot to the series. And, uh, you know, uh, j just in general, I thought it was a pretty good discussion of like Horikoshi and kind of his career at that point in time as he transitioned from Barrage into doing My Hero Academia. And we go on a whole lot of tangents in that one. Uh, but I still thought it was a very good discussion, and uh, basically, if you want a good cap-off to Kohei Horikoshi Month, you should definitely go to our Patreon again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, that is at the $5 tier, where we basically upload a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. And yeah, if you, if you just want more podcasts from us, that's the best place to go. And just go listen to that discussion. I had a lot of fun recording it, and we always have fun recording with Maxi, so it was a good time. Mm-hmm. A very great cap-off to the Koei Horikoshi month. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think with all that, now we can kind of get into news. And uh, I think we should start off, as per usual, with uh, with the newest uh, New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list. And uh, I'm just kind of going down the list here real quick. And uh, I guess starting at number nine on the list, in terms of, like, all the manga that's on the list, uh, we have... My Hero Academia Volume 28, which I believe, if I'm just double checking here, is the only is the only like volume of manga uh, carried over from last month's list. Uh, with last month's list, it was on at at number eight on the list, but it's moved down a spot, but it's still in the top ten. So it's it's a it's still a pretty pretty good bestseller, I'd say. Uh, and then as for everything else, uh, I believe everything else on this list in terms of manga is like all new to this list, where we have uh, Junji Ito's Censor. At number six, the newest, uh, I believe it's a collection of stories from Junji Ito? Yeah, it's a collection of stories, an anthology. Mm-hmm. And then at number four, we have volume six of Chainsaw Man, with volume 23, the final volume of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, ranking at number three, followed by Jujutsu Kaisen volume 11 at number two. So three manga titles in, the, in a row on this list, making for five volumes of manga in general on the list. And yeah, I mean... A lot of manga in the top 10, which I think is pretty good. At least five volumes, which, you know, half the top 10, I'd say that's pretty good for the New York Times list in particular. Yeah, very strong bestsellers. 
And then uh, I don't know if we have like a lot to say about the New York Times list in particular. Again, I I just think it's a good showing for manga specifically. Mm-hmm. It's a good snapshot of what the most popular titles currently are. Mm-hmm. But I guess we could just move on to the book scan list, specifically the top 20 adult graphic novels. And uh, surprise, surprise, like 90% of it is manga, with the exception of like one other comic on the list uh, that came in at number 15 with Run Book One from uh, John Lewis. But basically everything else is manga. So uh, I'm just going to go over the book scan list now. So uh, at the very top of the list, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 11. At the top of the list, Jujutsu Kaisen in particular is doing super strong right now. Mm-hmm. Kind of an aside real quick, but I think it was just announced recently that the series has like 55 million copies in circulation in Japan. So mm-hmm. I'm I mean, uh, just kind of talking about the Japanese side of, side of sales real quick. I'm the more we talk about Jujutsu Kaisen, I'm more and more convinced that like it has a very good chance of being like the best selling title in Japan at the end of the year this year. We'll see. Tokyo Revengers has also had quite explosive sales growth, so... That's true, yeah. I think it'll be a tough competition, but yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen has been a very strong seller since the anime has continued that momentum. So it's going to be competitive, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the only volume of Jujutsu Kaisen on the list. Um, so we're going to move on to number two on the list with Demon Slayer Volume 23. Once again, the final volume of Demon Slayer. Obviously, it's doing very well. And yeah, I- I'm interested in seeing like how much longer Demon Slayer is gonna stick around on this list now that the I guess now that the manga's over. It'll probably stay on there for quite a while, I'm sure. Yeah, we might see that spin-off volume also come in when that gets released next January. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Um at number three on the list, we have volume six of Chainsaw Man. Once again, uh Chainsaw Man also doing very well. Really kind of neck and neck, I think, with Jujutsu Kaisen in terms of, like, how far it is, like, on the top ten on the list. Because uh, I know Chainsaw Man Volume 1, I believe, ranked number one on one of these lists, uh, in like, in the past. So, again, Chainsaw Man, another very best-selling title for Viz. Uh, as well as My Hero Academia, where we have uh, Volume 28 at number four, along with Volume 1 at number 10, Volume 2 at number 12, and Volume 27 at number 18. So My Hero Academia, even amongst like all the other titles that are selling really well, still has like multiple placings on this list. Also continuing the trend of the first two volumes doing very well. A lot of people getting into the series and uh, a lot of older fans still keeping up with the series, buying the latest two volumes or so. And uh, yeah, My Hero Academia, it, it does very well. People really like it. It's it's definitely not the best-selling manga in North America right now. Yep, keeps attracting new readers and has retained its existing readers very well. Mm-hmm. Next up, as far as uh, another series or author in this case that has multiple placings on this list, uh, we have a bunch of Junji Ito stuff on the list this month uh, with, again, his, his newest collection of short stories, Censor at number five along with the other two usual suspects with uh, Tomie at number 13 and Uzumaki at number 14. But once again, Junji Ito, another author who uh, people really love and works continue to sell very well. It's pretty cool. I, I don't think we normally see like this much Junji Ito on the list at one time, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, multiple titles of his. It's quite interesting. I imagine it is because, I don't know, maybe just the release of Censor also just said a bunch of people, hey, you know, I'm buying one book, I'll buy another one too. 
But yeah, it's kind of interesting to see uh, multiple of his works sell quite well in a single month. Mm-hmm. Again, not something that usually happens very often with Ito in particular, uh, even though he, he always has at least like one title on this list, like every month or so, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5 Golden Wind Volume 1 at number six. Uh, obviously, Jojo is another pretty big franchise over here. Uh, and I'm sure people were uh, really looking forward to having uh, Part 5 start coming out in English and uh yeah, I'm I'm happy for JoJo fans, and I'm happy that we keep getting more JoJo. Uh, next up, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun Volume 1 at number 7. Uh, once again, uh, definitely, possibly Yen Press's best-selling title, aside from stuff like Black Butler, anyway. Um, well, I think at this point, it probably is the best-selling title. I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen Black Butler on this list in quite a bit, but Toilet Bound Hanako-kun has been hanging in here pretty much ever since it first entered these lists. So I think that it's on its way to perhaps being its best-selling title if it isn't already. Yeah, I was going to say, if it's not already, it's definitely on its way. And then next up, we have Q Volume 45, the final volume of Q at number eight. Uh, I'm really happy that not only is Q doing so well, but like, you know, th- that's that's a sports manga that's doing well in particular, which is not something we normally see. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, closing sales off on a strong note. When Haiku was licensed, it was still a time where it was uncertain. Would a sports manga sell numbers? And at that time, there was already so many volumes out. So I think Viz was taking a bit of a gamble, but it paid off because Haikyuu continued to be a strong seller throughout its run and proved that, yes, there is a big viability for sports manga in the current climate, in the current fandom. Mm-hmm. I, look, if there's anything I've learned over the past year or two, it's that people really, really, really love Haikyuu. Mm-hmm. All right, but next up at number nine on the list, we have The Promised Neverland Volume 20, which I believe is the final volume. Yes. Okay. Um, And yeah, Promised Neverland still doing very well, despite what people may say about the ending here or there. Um, I'd say reception on Promised Neverland at this point is mostly mixed. I mean, there are still people who love it, clearly, you know, enough to like buy it. There are people who like it in spite of the ending or think that, it ends well. It is a divided, I think, fandom. I feel like more. I see more people lean negative. Maybe that's just the circles I've been in. But I know yeah. that there are people who are positive on the series whole way through. Mm-hmm. Next up at number eleven on the list, we have Attack on Titan Volume One. Um, no surprise there. I'm pretty sure at this point, Volume One of Attack on Titan is the best selling like first volume for Kodansha. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. uh, c- considering how often it appears on this uh, on these lists for for multiple years at this point. So not much else to say there. At number 16 on the list, we have volume two of Berserk, the hardcover edition, along with volume one at number 20. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Berserk finally make it on this list. Like, I really honestly thought, you know, unfortunately, when Miura passed away and you know, people started buying up basically whatever uh, copies of Berserk they could get their hands on. I kind of thought we would see it on the list sooner, but, you know, I'm, I'm not that surprised it would end up on the list eventually. Yeah, I mean, different metrics and all of that. The book scan list is measuring sales in bookstores. I think most of the selling out was happening online. 
But yeah, it's good to see Berserk make the list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up at number 17 on the list, we have Comey Can't Communicate Volume 14, which I believe is the newest volume of Comey at this point. And yeah, I mean, Comey Can't Communicate... I guess it's not really that surprising because I know Comey had a pretty dedicated fan base before it got picked up. But like, I'm I'm just I'm just so surprised that like, you know, uh, and I guess I should say I'm, I'm happy for Comey and that like something that had like a very dedicated like base online to like translate it every week. You know, th- th- I think that could have easily like affected its sales over here, but clearly it hasn't because people love it and people keep buying it. So I'm I'm happy for it. Yeah, I mean, Comey is been a strong seller even without an anime ever since it came out and now with the anime coming and the potential of more eyes and attention being drawn to the series i think its sales will continue to rise and it's definitely a win for shonen sunday fans for sure i would be very surprised if at some point before the end of this year we don't see at least two volumes of Comey at the list at the same time yeah, I could definitely see an explosion for it. That that would really shock me if that doesn't happen, honestly. Um, and then I guess finally at number 19 on the list, we have Volume 1 of Wotakoi. Uh, Love is Hard for Otaku, Volume 1. Uh, and yeah, Wotakoi is definitely one of those series that uh, I, I think if more volumes were released for it more regularly, like I think it would, I think it would do so much better, honestly. But, you know, the, the, the few volumes that we do get every once in a while that thankfully still do very, very well. People really like this series. Yeah, I mean, they basically ended up releasing a volume once a year past the first couple. I mean, these past few years. And there's only one volume left because Rotokoi is over. So, you know, we'll see how that does when it comes out next year. But yeah, I mean, Rotokoi, very popular, very strong seller. Mm hmm. And uh, that's kind of about it for the list. Uh, I mean, I I really appreciate how the past couple months, like how varied the list has been, like with the exception of stuff like My Hero Academia and like Junji Ito stuff, like there are very few titles that take up like so much space on the list. It's it's mostly like a volume per title. Like there's there's a lot more variety in like the, the stuff that people are buying right now, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, there are like a dozen different titles here, so that it's really nice to see that it isn't all just like one or two series. It is, of course, still dominated mostly by Beast Media and Shonen titles, but it is nice to see Yen have the title in here, Dark Horse with Berserk and all that. So Kodansha, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's nice to see. Mm-hmm. One real quick note I want to put in here because obviously ICV2 also put out specifically a list dedicated to the top 20 manga graphic novels for the month as well, which places uh, the first volume of the One Piece Omnibus edition at number 20, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, seems like a lot of people are getting into One Piece now. Yeah, One Piece has always, I think, been a consistent seller. Probably it just doesn't as often reaching to the very top heights of sales. But yeah, I think, you know, One Piece is still a series that has maintained a, a consistent popularity, and there are always new people getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess unless we have anything else to say about the book scan list, I think we can go into serialization news now, huh? Mm-hmm. And first up, we have to talk about things that are ending, if you want to take that away. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, a couple, I, I guess about a month, uh, almost a month ago at this point, uh, basically, Candy Flurry from Takegushi Ippon and Mitarashi Sanda, Sanda, uh, Santa, 
basically ended in Shonen Jump in issue 41 uh, with about 19 chapters for its entire run. And I got to be honest, this was one of those things where um, I don't think I necessarily dropped it because like I wasn't enjoying it. But I think I just ended up dropping it because I I did that thing again where I tried to keep up with too much and show to jump and it ends up being too much for me to keep up with week to week. So um, I just never really got back to it. Like I, I remember like liking it just fine and wanting to kind of see where it went. But like the, the more I heard people talk about it, the more it sounded like it just... I don't know. I'm I'm just really sad for it because like I, I think this this was a series that could have that could have done well if like it had more time. I don't know. It's just kind of sad to see. I I was rooting for this one. I think the power set of the different canon users could have been used very creatively. I like Sumiji as a protagonist, but yes, unfortunately, it just never really came together into something particularly compelling. And the final chapters were very rushed. Like they kind of That's what I heard, hurriedly yeah. introduced the antagonist, the one who was the, the lollipop user who destroyed the city, actually. And then Smiggy like beats him. Like I appreciate that knowing the series was ending, the doctor really went all out and just into ridiculousness and like had her lollipop transform into like this big mech to fight. That's so, cool though. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate him going wild like that. But in terms of actual narrative satisfaction, you know, a lot of things just happened really fast in the final chapters. Mm-hmm. They tried the troll bone to some of the other secondary characters to give them some wrap up, which didn't really stick or work because it was happening too quick. And yeah, it kind of ended with a whimper to me where I was not really left saying, oh, I guess that's it. You know, I was instead of being like, oh, man, I wish there were more. I was just, you know, kind of left ambivalent at the end of reading the series, which is a shame because I was really excited for it early on. But unfortunately, just one that had so much creativity and potential to it, but just never lived up to that. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Um. At the very least, I hope that Midarashi Santa comes back to jump eventually, because I think, for, for me, the art was the best part of the series. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I, I, I still, I can still, like, picture in my mind, like, all the really cool, like, splash pages from those first couple chapters. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just cool. Santa's, Santa's a good artist. I hope we can see them back eventually. But, uh, yep, uh, another one bites the dust. Another one added to the list of canceled show to jump manga we will cover eventually. But yeah, uh, kind of on the subject of things ending, uh, it was actually revealed uh, recently in the 43rd issue of Shonen Jump that Dr. Stone is going to be entering its final arc, which is really interesting to see. Um, I'm currently in the middle of trying to catch up with all my Shonen Jump stuff right now. I unfortunately haven't gotten the chance to catch up on Dr. Stone, but... I'm kind of kicking myself because I, I feel like I stopped reading it around the time, like, really, really big stuff was happening. And I, I'm kind of kicking myself because, like, I really want to see, like, how all that stuff goes and, like, where it's at right now. Because it's it's, it's just really weird for me to see that, oh, Dr. Stone might be ending soon. I don't know. It's, it's just it's just a weird feeling. When did you stop reading? Um, I don't know if I want to say without spoil. Uh, sk- skip a minute or two if you don't want to be spoiled on Dr. Stone. Um, I'm pretty sure I stopped reading around the time they were, like, killing off main characters. Okay, quote-unquote killing off main characters. Yeah, quote-unquote, uh, So, yeah. yeah, anyway, 
I it's not that much of a surprise to have this confirmation Doctor Stone is entering its final arc after recent weeks and events. Like it was they really seemed like they were rushing towards like getting something together to do the big thing that they've been planning to do. So yeah, I'm not surprised. I will say that I feel a little disappointed just because we had kind of set up that oh we're gonna travel around the world and visit all these countries to get all these things and do different places and like besides north and south america the rest of the world was just kind of rushed through without really spending a whole lot of time in those places and exploring them for stories so i was very disappointed by that but you know I think that Inagaki is just ready to wrap up the story. So moving things back into gear for the final arc, I, I get it. I'm just disappointed that they didn't really take advantage of, like, you know, exploring the world and encountering different cultures and people they, you know, unpetrify or encounter or whatnot. But, yeah, and I'm excited to see what will happen in the final arc. I mean, it's ramping up, like, the big thing that they're going to do is probably going to happen in the next couple chapters. And then okay. we'll see what they find uh, when they go to the place they're going. So, you know, I am excited to see how Dr. Stone is going to resolve, like what the answers to all the big mysteries are in terms of why man and uh, all this stuff. So I'm excited to see how Dr. Stone will conclude, but I am disappointed that we kind of had a truncated journey to the final destination, if, uh, in my opinion, at the very least. Mm, okay. No, I, I can I can see that. Um, maybe I'll feel differently when I actually like start catching up with Dr. Stone here soon. But, um, you know, that is kind of disappointing here because, you know, like you, I, I was I was really excited at the at the possibility of this becoming like a more adventurous series where they do go to like different locations and stuff. Like I was really excited for the possibilities that could present or whatever, as far as like, you know, again, visiting different locations and dealing with all kinds of different conflicts like that. But like at the same time, I am also kind of relieved that like, you know, as we've seen, I feel like with a lot of jump manga nowadays, like I I do appreciate that like most manga in jump nowadays doesn't just like spin its wheels like uh, a, a lot of like the bigger series back in the day did, you know? Like, it doesn't just keep running to the point where, like, you know, p- people get tired of reading it week to week or whatever. So I'm I'm kind of glad that maybe I won't have to deal with that with Dr. Stone in particular. I appreciate its fast pace, but I can I can totally see, again, I'll have to see when I actually catch up myself, but I could totally see the, the other side of the coin with that where it's like, okay, well, maybe we could have spent a little more time on, like, certain things and certain, like, story beats and portions of the series and whatnot. I can see both sides of this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm really excited to start catching up on Doctor Stone here when I have the time. I'm I'm kind of surprised I haven't like caught up on it already. Like I, I need to just like kick myself in the ass and just do it, you know. But yeah, I'm interested in seeing how Doctor Stone will end, and I'm probably going to be very very sad when it does. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, if you want to talk about the next series, that's uh, I guess ended at this point. Yeah, there are a lot of series that have ended or are ending. Among them is No Guns Life that ended. On September 18th, an Ultra Jump, and that will conclude in volume form with its 13th volume. And this is recently released the 10th volume as far back as May, so we'll probably get those final volumes very soon. 
No One's Gun's Life is a series I've meant to explore more, but V-Lord really likes it. And it is, you know, a good compliment to Chainsaw Man. We got, you know, a guy with a chainsaw head, and now we, in No Gun's Life, there's a guy with a gun head. And so, you know, that's always interested me about the series. So, yeah, I'm curious to check out more of No Gun's Life, especially now that it's coming to an end. I would also like uh, to check out the author's upcoming spin-off adaptation of JoJo's. Like, they're doing the whole horse and Josuke spin-off, so I'm, I'm interested in reading that as well, because I do like their art style a lot. Tokyo Taraba Girls Season 2 has also ended this past September, September 25th, in Kiss Magazine's November issue. This has been the newest arc of Tokyo Tarapa Girls Returns, rather. Like, because there was an original serialization of Tokyo Tarapa Girls Returns, and that was done, like, uh, in 2017 through 2018, and that had a collectible income on 2019. And then this current serialization, season 2, started in 2019 and just ended. So, yeah, and it features, like, a whole new protagonist and stuff like that. So I'm very interested in seeing, like, oh, like, exploring different characters besides our main trio in the same setting, though, as Guitar Rebel Girl. So I'm definitely curious to check it out. I'm Kandansha is definitely going to release this in English once, you know, the collective volume has come out. And, yeah, I'm just looking forward to reading more because I love Higashimura's work and I really like the Gokudara girls, so yeah, I'm always excited and game to read more. Now we're heading into series that are going to be ending, or a series that's going to be ending, and that's Delicious in Dungeon. It has been announced in the wraparound jacket of its 11th volume that it is nearing its climax. So the beloved dungeon-crawling foodie manga is finally coming to its end, and that's uh, definitely a shame to see. And I really enjoyed the series. I was reading and enjoying it even before I got licensed, you know. So I am surprised and a little sad to hear that it's coming to an end. But I'm always uh, pretty happy to hear how much people have enjoyed it. Like, this is a series that I think they really became a fan favorite among manga readers over here. Which was really exciting to see that happen when, you know, it started coming out uh, in volume form over here. After having, you know read it uh, through what it means uh, before that, right before it was like So I'm really excited and happy for Ryoko Kui. And definitely, you know, I kind of fell off on the series after the first couple volumes. So I'm definitely excited to, you know, dig back into the series and catch up on it in time for its upcoming conclusion. Speaking of things that are ending, though, in terms of other fantasy manga... We have got a confirmation that Camp Chumriora and Studio Gaga's Doranki manga will be ending, or rather has ended. The decision to end the manga came after, you know, careful deliberation, consideration, discussions between editors of the series and, you know, the artist of Studio Gaga following Miura's passing. And so they're going to release the series in a compiled book with unpublished design materials, uh, on December 24th, which will be the same day that Berserk's 41st compiled volume is going to ship. So we've seen here that they have decided not to continue one of Miura's works without his involvement in the case of Doranki. Will that hold true for Berserk itself? Well, as mentioned before, the 41st volume will be coming out on December 24th. 
and yeah it's gonna have like some things included with it like special canvas art and a drama cd that's gonna portray the awakening chapter of the series which has never been included in any anime adaptation of the series so that's exciting stuff and it's going to compile all the most recent chapters of berserk but what about the fate of berserk we don't really know we don't know if they'll continue it or not. They haven't committed one way or another. But if Deronki sets a precedent, then perhaps they will. However, even though we may not see the continuation of any more of Miura's uh, projects, we will be getting a new one-shot manga from Koji Murai, who is going to draw a story about his lifelong friendship with Miura. It's going to be called Mori-chan Kenshan. It's going to be, again, about the story Mori's friendship with Miura. And, you know, even though it's going to be a one-shot right now, Mori noted that he may one day draw a longer form of the manga. And yeah, this has been published, actually, recently, so hopefully we will see a translation of it sometime. I don't know where it will be concluded. Uh, maybe it'll be included in the final volume of Berserk, or the 41st volume, rather. We don't know if it's the final volume just yet. But, yeah, I would like to read an English translation of this and read Mori's tribute to Miura. But that about does it with updates with Berserk, Kentaro Miura, Studio Gaga projects. Now we've got uh, some big announcements for new manga. A lot of new manga from established creators, big creators, that are coming up in big comic. Because they have a new initiative that they're launching like seven new manga from, again, big names. And starting off like... Nagai is going to be doing adaptation of Barbara, Osama Tezuka's classic manga. That's going to start in the 21st issue of Big Comic on the 25th. Um, yeah, Barbara is uh, one of my favorite Tesco works, or at least it was a very formative one for me. And Gonagai's take on that is something I really want to see. And I think it's perfect considering how that series explores uh, deviancy and sexuality. So I'm very, very excited for that. We also got a new manga from Hidenori Hara, who is very famous for the Train Man manga. And they're drawing a new series called Dump the Heel, which is actually going to portray like the real-life female wrestler uh, Dump Matsumoto, who often played the heel in her matches. And so that's kind of a cool collab manga about like this female heel wrestler's uh, career in life. Then we've got Nagasaki Takahashi, who was, you know, the editor and supervisor of Monster, writer on Corral, writer on Pluto. They are teaming up with Kosuke Muku to do a new series called The Boy in the Middle. That'll come out on the same issue as the Nagai series that is uh, coming out on October 25th, and it's going to be a horror story centered on a boy who experiences an unexpected event with his friends while exploring a forest. So, yeah, I mean, Nagasaki has been a long-time collaborator with Tess, uh, with uh, Urasawa on a lot of his thriller stories, so I'm definitely curious to read uh, some of his works uh, besides. So, looking forward to this. Then we got a new series from Matora Maze, uh, a new series in his uh, existing series, Ikigami, called Ikigami The Eleven Limit. That's already came out. 
And we got a new food manga from Masahito Kagawa and Shogata called Shimatsu Nanu Gomei that's coming out on November 10th. Then we got a new series called from Kunihiko Yokomizu and Takoro Yamanchi that is going to be called Tozanka Yamanoe Monogatari. And it's going to come out of the first issue of becoming a 2022 year series editions on October 25th. And finally, we got Fumi Uzakura who is launching a new series called Tetsumitsu Debotsu Monogatari Shijo Joriayan ni Kiesata Monoe no current localized title for this right now. But this has come out recently. So yeah, a lot of big new series and big comic. A lot of big comics and big comic from big creators. So a lot to look forward to. Like there's some that I'm really excited about. I mean, most chiefly definitely the guys, but I also really uh, I'm curious about Haru's new work, Dumpty Hill, that sounds super interesting. And of course Nagasaki's as well. So some big, big comics. Speaking of magazines launching like a lot of new series we have a new imprint from square enix called ganga blitz a new bl boys love manga focused label and there are four titles that have launched with this label these include shioko origami's chivalrous pure love comedy koisero goku do onisan we have miyuki nakamura's shoto x oni manga about a boy and his childhood friend who's in high school which I'm not really a fan of, just by some description. But moving on, Cousin Ki Minamoto has a work called My Groom is Not You, a marriage story about an overbearing ideal man and a leader who cannot be honest with himself. And you, Omura's age gap buddy suspense manga, The Werewolf Wants to Eat His Favorite Detective, which uh, spicy werewolf manga i know that's gonna have a lot of fans that's probably gonna be the breakout uh, among these if they ever get licensed so yeah three out of the four of these i think sounds like a fun time and in general i'm excited to see a new bl focus label from square enix i'm sure that their uh english imprint is will probably license these at some point or license uh, the ones of these that are the most successful or Regardless, I think it's just good to see uh, just more BL being uh, created. Even though, again, one of these titles, not subject matter I'm a big fan of. But again, the rest of these, I think, sound pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Also, Gangan Bliss, That's a, would say that's a pretty good name for the, for, for the label. It is. It's a, a very good title. Um, very, very clever, very fun. You can't spell Bliss without BL. Now we've got some new titles from other, like, established creators, a lot of whom I'm a big fan of, including Rensuke Goshikiri, creator of High School Girl. They are coming out with a new series. It's called Genie Ert, and that's already come out in the September 16th issue of Weekshun Champion. And not too much of a description to go on. It looks like a battle manga based on the title Genie Earth, you know, combination of genie and earth. I assume is going to be about fighting genies. Oh, that sounds so, cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Now, there I have found a synopsis. It's about uh, the titular genie Earth who possesses a supernatural power to eliminate lesser species and plants over to the country. So... Hmm. Still kind of a vague title. Could go either way on the implications of what that really means. But yeah, it does seem like it involves like a, a powerful genie and it involves fighting other probably supernatural creatures. So 
We will see. We will see. I really liked High School Girls, so I am interested in checking out more of the creator's works. So we'll see if this gets licensed and comes out over here. That that sounds pretty cool, but I was kind of hoping for Genies Fighting Genies. But it's it's fine, though. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the, the titular junior is a genie. You know, otherwise... Why call them genie art? But never mind. Keiichi Arawi has also got a new manga that's been serialized since earlier in September called Amemiya-san. That's been running a monthly Shonen Sunday. And yeah, it's cool to have a new Arawi series, especially one that's running in a, a Sunday magazine. And yeah, Rawi basically was working with Kadansha too, so this is a publisher switch for them, which is interesting. But, you know, I'm a big fan of Rawi's Nitya Joe and City, so I enjoy their sense of comedy, and I'm looking forward to checking out Amamiya-san, if it ever gets localized. Didn't Sakaki do, like, a write-up on the issue of Gesson that this ran in? I believe so. So, search back on the weekly Shogaku Contact back Twitter for that tread, or perhaps we can even link it here in the description uh, to get some thoughts on Amiya-san. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you want more info on this series in particular, that's probably a good place to go. We also got a new series coming from Makoto Morishita, the creator of M, the Great Priest Demon Tab, which is a series I really enjoy, and I've been doing the volumes that uh, they've been coming out from Yen. And their new series is the Sodachi Demon Lord's Castle, that's coming out in the November issue of Monthly Shonen Magazine on October 6th. It's going to center around a guy who runs an item shop in a world where the hero has defeated the Demon Lord. And, you know, because it's a peaceful world, not a lot of people are coming to his shop, which, you know, worries him. But a young woman shows up one day whose identity is unknown, and we'll see what things go from there. So I think it's a nice premise of Fantasy World series about this guy who's trying to just sell, like, an item shot for people, but, you know, can't. There's not much of a market for that now that people don't need to do adventuring to, to fight the Demon Lord. I imagine that... This young woman is probably related to Demon World in some way, if not actually the Demon Lord. That just seems like the kind of twist I would go in these kind of stories. But regardless, yeah, I'm, I like Eam a lot. I like how Morhuda, like, uh, plays with fantasy elements, plays with history elements, and then remixes them. I like how, uh, I like it's both their sense of comedy and their art and action. So yeah, I'm just interested in another one of their works because yeah, I've been enjoying him a lot and yeah, I, I look forward to more of their stuff. Um, so basically in the latest issue of Shueisha's Jump Square in the October issue in particular, it was announced that Takashi Obata is going to be coming back to draw a new series with novelist Akinari Asakura entitled Shoha Shoten. And basically, that'll be running in Jump Square, I guess, by the time this episode comes out. And the manga centers on a high school student who sends material to programs and a former child actor uh, who basically team up to become an aspiring comedy duo. And yeah, just kind of judging from the key art on this, Takashi Obata's art looks more akin to like how he drew Bakuman in particular. It looks very similar yeah. to that sort of style. So. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting premise in particular, and uh, I don't know if this will ever like get picked up. Hey, you never know. Maybe by the time this episode of the podcast is out, Shonen Jump and Viz will surprise us. Hopefully, maybe. Oh, that'd be nice. And if they don't, then, well, 
maybe we'll get it eventually. I don't know. I, I feel like anything done by Obata, I would hope, is pretty almost guaranteed to get picked up at like some point, maybe. Yeah, he's such a recognizable name that I think Wiz is willing to take chances on his work just on the strength of his name. And yeah, I mean, this is an interesting premise, and I am definitely keen to have an Obata series that is broken away from Oba as the writer. <laughs> so yeah, and I, I, the premise sends you right, and you you know it does. The art is more akin to the Bakuman style, which I really enjoy. So yeah, I I would be keen to read this, and it would be great if Viz would simul publish this when it comes out too. Now I the only thing I wonder is because it's about a it's about two people who want to start like a comedy duo. I wonder like how hard this would be to translate every month. Like I, I kind of wonder about the difficulty level on that. Uh, if maybe, like, that's possibly, like, the one reason maybe they wouldn't pick it up. But even if they don't pick it up for a simulpub, I can't imagine that, like you said, Viz isn't, you know, interested in picking up more stuff with Obata's name attached to it, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, this looks really cool. I really like the art style so far, and uh, I, I would love to at least check out the first chapter of this. So, f- fingers crossed. Absolutely. Now, we have a new series also coming from Days creator Suyoshi Yasuda. We previously mentioned that they had been doing this mini-series called Pause, which is about a astronomy club and exploring some themes of pain and rebirth and stuff. Now they have launched a new series uh, on the 46th issue of Wiki Shine Magazine that's coming out on October 13th called Aono Mubiro that's going to focus on uh, the Shinsengumi. So, kind of a historical manga on the Shinsukumi, which uh, sounds pretty interesting. Quite a quite a swerve from, like, a soccer manga to Strombe Club manga. Now doing a, a historical manga on, like, you know, the Shinsukumi. So, interested in seeing how that turns out as a Kananjo magazine series. I'm sure when it gets collected volumes, we'll see a translation of it come out. And, yeah, interested in checking out more of Yasuda's work. I am very interested in Shinsengumi manga, so I will probably check that out if it's licensed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely no relation to Gintama, not at all. No, not at all. Completely <laughs> different. We also got a new manga from Senkaku Head coming out in November 4th in Weekly Young Jumps 49 issue. There's going to be a nostalgic festival. Speaking of period pieces, uh, it's going to be set during the Heisei area. So, yeah, that's not, that's kind of the recent past, 1989 to 2019. So, not too far back, but it's going to be focused on ideas and nostalgia. So, presumably, we'll go at least back uh, those 20 years to the 90s start off and then as time progresses we don't really have uh, much more details on like what else is in this premise but I am interested in more of Senkakuhe's work because I do like Maru-chan I am interested in their other works which I don't believe like his uh, main manga that was his most recent work has come out over here but I I'm curious, you know, I am intrigued based on the illustrations, like what they are going for. It's worth noting that uh, they, he has hired a new assistant to draw these backgrounds. I wish they were named so we could credit them, but I do think they're very well designed. So I'm very curious, uh, like what this story is going to be about. Or what is it going to be like a, you know, slice of like how many like Amari was, or he's going for something a little more uh, contemplative, melancholic. 
Now, similarly, I'm very excited for Kibinori Wakasugi's new comedy manga that's coming out in Young Animals, October 8th issue, called Drunk Jiangshi's, which, well, as the title suggests, it's going to be about a uh, father who has turned into a Jiangshi, which is a Chinese hobbling vampire zombie thing, and his son, who aims to be a Taoist, so kind of like a person who could exercise Jiangshi's. So that sounds like a premise that would lead to wacky shenanigans. The Droid Middle City was a very funny series. I very much enjoyed it. So, you know, if this ever gets uh, localized, I'd definitely be keen to check it out because I like the Wakasugi sense of humor. I can only imagine that the Zhangxi is probably going to have like Krauser makeup or is going to look similar to Krauser. Probably. We'll have to see. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to see. I'm also very excited for Neo Nakatani's new manga. It's going to be a sci-fi series called Kamisama ga Machigaru. That's given in an upcoming Nengakidai issue that's coming out on October 27th. It's going to be about the daily life of a middle school boy and the female scientist living in a world full of bugs. So it's not going to be a Yuri series, at least as far as we're aware of so now, based on the premise. But I, again, I like Nakatani's writing in general, how they write characters and explore the nuances of those characters and their relationships with one another and how they affect each other and their growth. So yeah, I move into you is a series I absolutely adore, so I'm definitely keen to check out any other work of Nakatani's, even if they aren't Yuri or Clear. So, curious to see how this one turns out. Now we got a really interesting collaboration between Nizio Izin and Posuke Mizu to do a one-shot sequel for Hiroko Aki's old one-shot Mashonen BT. That's a very interesting thing to have like these two very established uh, creators, one one of the, a seminal writer and another like one of the probably the best artists uh, working right now to come together to collab on making a sequel for Hiro Grade, like a veteran master of the medium of like old one shot. And then, yeah, it's going to come out on October 19th. I would love to see Viz uh, translate this, even if like it is a sequel to a one shot that has never been translated by them. But yeah, it just sounds the, the idea of them collaborating together to adapt you know, one of Araki's works just seems so interesting, crazy to me. Well, hey, maybe maybe they'll pick up the original. Yeah, I mean, it was Araki's uh, first realization. It was short-lived, but, you know, even before Bao. So oh, wow. uh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting if they took a chance on something like that. But, yeah, the premise of uh, the series, just for the record, is about a trickster magician and his friend who get involved in mysteries. And so the new one shot is set 60 years after the original manga. Wow. And so when the characters are like old men and like a a man basically introduces himself to them, it's probably to give them one last case to solve, which is kind of a funny thing, uh, an interesting thing that direction to go in to like set it like 60 years in the future of the original series where the characters have kind of grown up and become like pretty old people. But yeah. See so you get back in the game at the old age. Like, I think that's pretty funny, a pretty interesting idea. Now, if also I got some news about it. it's new, ch- I mean, speaking of spin-offs, speak- a new Chainsaw Man novel that's going to come out in November 4 called Buddy Stories. It's going to be written by Sakaku Hishikawa. 
And the theme of the novel is that it's going to tell stories that is going to center on buddies. So there's going to be a story about Power and Dingy, Kishibe and Kwanji when they were back where they were partners, and Himeno and Aki around the time where they first met. So that sounds like some really cool stories. I definitely like to check them out, especially the Kishibe Kwanji one. It's so interesting to explore more of their past. I'd really love to explore that. So yeah, I hope Wiz would translate this when after it comes out because I'd love to read it. But yeah, I think it sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that they won't pick it up, probably. Mm-hmm. Next, we got like a big, big announcement, and that is Kazuo Omez is coming back to manga after 26 years. He's announced his first new work in 26 years. It's going on January 2022. He's been working on this project for four years, and he thinks it's incredible. And when you get your first glance at it, you're not going to be able to escape. So yeah. The prolific core creator, like one of the best of the best right up there with Ito, is coming back to medium with a new work he thinks that it's going to like blow everyone away. And after reading A Drifting Classroom and, you know, classic horror series, I'm definitely excited to read another one of his works, especially newer work for him, you know, after so long. So this is very, very exciting. Like this is very, very big. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. And our last bit of serialization news, also transitioning us into licensing news, is that Chosen X has been, you know, serialized irregularly online for some time now. But now it will be getting a regular serialization in Young Jump starting on October 14th. And we will see how that will affect the schedule and release of Chojin X. But it's interesting to see that it is making the transition from a digital publication to a print one in Japan. Yeah, so I was wondering about this when I first saw the news. And like, yeah, like at first I just kind of assumed like, oh, looks like Chojin X is like moving to like a weekly serialization. Whereas before, you know, Ishida was basically publishing chapters whenever he wanted to. But... Another possibility could be that, like, maybe he's still going to follow his own serialization schedule, but maybe whenever a chapter comes out online, it'll also be published. That could be a possibility, too. Yeah, I mean, there's no confirmation that the series is switching to a weekly schedule, just that it's going to be published in Young Jump. Yeah. So it's perfectly possible that uh, it will just continue being published on a regular pace, but now it's also going to be available in print. But yeah, the move to also being published in print is an interesting one. And I wonder, I do wonder if that will affect the release schedule. And like, it might not be weekly, but maybe he will change it to have a different degree of regularity. It's inter- It'll be interesting to see how it affects the release of Trojan X. I also kind of wonder if it's going to affect the way he draws the series, because I feel like... Uh, this is just me, but I, I get the feeling that, like, the, the way Ishida draws the series and, like, how he, like, especially with, like, his two-page spreads, I, I feel like are the kind of things that, like, work better reading them online than maybe if you were to read them in print. That's just my opinion, personally, though. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in seeing if this will, like, how this will change either, bo- either the serialization of the series or, like, how he, how he goes about drawing it. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but... I'm sure it'll still be good because uh, th- just just an update on Choji next. It's still good. And it's still probably my favorite new series of the year. Like it's just it's it's good. And this is coming from somebody who who wasn't a huge fan of Tokyo Ghoul after reading the first volume, but is eager to try it again at some point. So, yeah. 
But that about does it for our civilization news. And now that we're on the subject of, you know, stuff that has uh, been running on digital platforms, been serialized in cyber publishing, that brings us to our licenses. And we can start off with some new editions from Comic Key in terms of stuff that they've been uh, serializing. And that includes Asobi Azubase from Rinsu Ishikawa. You may remember this series uh, from its anime a few years ago, but it's basically about a group of girls who, you know, are like just uh, kind of total shit lords and they, you know, get into a bunch of hijinks with each other at their school and stuff. Then we've got a series called Pan Ajia's Territory from Meromeji. It's about like monstrous beasts who live among humans who are like feared for their talents and hideous forms that are hunted. But, like, now one of them has been caught as a murder case suspect that seems to be the work of another Soa. So it's a, it's a thriller mystery series. We got a series called Castration and Revert from authors Aratha Mietzki and Ochao, which is uh, about a guy whose friend was uh, killed by rapists and... He murdered 15 of the rapists and cut off their genitals, and then he was settled to capital punishment. And then after he died, he got uh, isekai'd and reborn in another world where all men are mindless beasts and rapists. So, you know, lost in the world, he's like uh, meeting some survivors, fighting the hordes of these beasts, and he learns that uh, his friend is still alive in this world, so he chooses to fight in order to find his precious friend. This series, uh, I'm just going to say right now, it, it just seems, by the premise, a little grimdark and flipping through it. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's... Uh, I would say it's a little exploitative, too, uh, with the premise. So, uh, not uh, one that I have a t- uh, I am casting tentative judgment on. The last one, though, is it's a pretty... more takes more than a pretty face to fall in love by Karen Ansai. This is about a girl who loves good-looking guys more than anything, and after rolling at a high school in hopes of meeting her ideal man, she finds a guy who is blessed with looks from the gods themselves, but then she finds herself in a predicament because due to skipping too many classes, Udo is set to be expelled, and unless she can help leverage this guy's good looks and get the school's social media account to 100,000 followers. You know, her dream book's going to disappear from her life forever. So the story follows this pair and their change of relationship but they try to prevent its expulsion. So this sounds like a very cute and fun one that, uh, yeah, I think is uh, pretty adorbs. So, yeah, like, um, these are certainly a diverse selection of new titles from a comic key and straight out for them I think are very interesting and some of these are still running also be Azubaze is one that is still running I believe Castration Word is one too they aren't quite simul pubs on comic key just yet they're still catching up on them a few chapters at a time so I think eventually they will catch up and graduate to simulpubs, but right now they're just filling in the backlog with like, they have older chapters as well as some newer chapters. So uh, kind of a interesting gaps, especially in Azobi Azobase's case, where there's a like, kind of a big jump between the first couple chapters to like chapters in the 80s or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see new titles be added to Comic Key from Hakusensha. Uh, especially Asubi Azubase is one that I wanted to read the manga for a while. I think it takes more than a pretty face fall of. It's a 
fun premise that I also really want to check out. So, yeah. And some more titles to check out from Comic Key are available now. Hey guys, just want to cut in here to kind of add on to the uh, Comic Key news that we just reported on as far as uh, new additions to the site goes. Because basically a few days after we recorded this podcast, uh, Comic Key actually announced that uh, they're going to be adding both Kengan Ashura and Kengan Omega, the sequel series, to Kengan Ashura, both onto Comic Key, which is really, really cool. Um, So for Kengan Omega in particular... Again, the sequel series to Kengan Ashura, uh, they will be simulpubbing that in particular as it's uh, still running. It looks like a new chapter of Kengan Omega is going to be coming out every Wednesday, as well as basically a batch of backlog chapters every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So, so yeah, they're going to be simulpubbing that, which is really cool. And eventually, you'll be able to read all of Kengan Omega. Uh, as for Kengan Ashura. Uh, they're going to be adding that to Comic Key basically on October 12th. So basically, give or take like a week or less uh, by the time this episode of the podcast comes out. And it looks like they're going to be doing two batches of about seven to eight chapters a month. So roughly about 16 chapters max a month as far as the backlog to Kengan Ashura is concerned. But eventually, you will be able to read all of that series as well. Um, and so, yeah, this is really cool. Um, I've always heard pretty good things about Kengan Ashura, and, uh, you know, I've, I've always wanted to check it out, and uh, I guess I'll be able to now, now that it's on Comic Key. Not sure if this is worth bringing up, but uh, apparently they're also going to be using, I guess Comic Key in particular is going to be using, like, the, uh, I guess the scans that Hokuto Gun in particular did for Kengan Ashura and Kengan Omega. Or at the very least, I'm assuming they're going to be using those as, like, the basis for their um, for their official release, which is really interesting. I've seen, like, one or two comparisons between the scans for Kengan and, like, you know, whatever's on Kamiki. And they seem pretty identical, from what I can tell, except, like, like the sound effects have, like, translations and stuff subtitled out to them. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if we ever seen like that kind of thing happen before where a manga publisher uh, just, I guess, essentially just picks up whatever scans were done for them. I mean, I can't imagine that like depending on like the quality of the translation of the scans that like they won't be quality checked a little bit to make sure that there are any like really glaring mistranslations or anything. But yeah, I don't know. This is this is really interesting. I've never really like seen that happen with a manga license before. But yeah, basically, uh, yeah, you can now read Kengan Ashura and Kengan Omega. Or I guess I should say you can read Kengan Omega right now, but Kengan Ashura will be coming out soon. So that's really cool. And I thought it was worth kind of adding to the podcast and post just so you guys knew. And yeah, that's really about it for everything that's been added to Comic Key that we wanted to talk about anyway. And now back to the show. Speaking of new additions to different manga apps, uh, I want to step in real quick and talk about Azuki once again, which, uh, you know, the last couple of times we talked about Azuki, you know, uh, I think we can both agree it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good service. But we were feeling a little down on like the selection of titles because they used to be like and I guess still are mostly like a lot of Kodansha stuff. But 
Uh, they have picked up titles from both Glacier Bay Books and Starford Books to be read on their service, which I think is really cool. As far as Glacier Bay Books is concerned, uh, you could read stuff like Children of Mootown, Ripples, and Sukiko and the Satellite. And from Starfruit Books, you can also read stuff like Pop Life, Ikyodo, Monthly Shoujo Sunday, The Blood Red Boy, and Sawanabe Zombie. And yeah, th those are basically just some of the titles you can read now on Azuki. In general, I think it's really cool that publishers like Glacier Bay and Starfruit are having their stuff, you know, just that much more accessible. Like, I... Honestly, this this makes me think about getting a subscription to Azuki now, whereas I was kind of more ambivalent about it, even though I do agree it's still like it's still a very good service. But I'm very appreciative of them adding more new things to their service. that You really can't read anywhere else. Yeah, I am very excited to see like the smaller indie publishers like get added to Azuki and people being able to check out titles from them. I think that makes Azuki an even better deal. Oh, than yeah. before and it definitely you know incentivizes me to also uh, want to check out Oski more too because especially Glacier Bay books like I haven't checked out a lot of those before so yeah I am very very excited for this announcement and and definitely will probably look into re-upping or getting Oski again to, to check those out now. Mm -hmm. now, now maybe I'll have to finally read uh, Children of Mootown and make Mr. Zach Uchu's shelf very happy. Yeah, and so the last bit of news before we get into kind of our licensing list, because once again, we had a lot of new licenses announced. So, you know, we can't cover all of them. It would just take a bit. So we each have come up with like some highlight lists. Before we get into that, we will uh, mention that Right Stuff and Tokyo Pop are offering reprints of Aria in a new masterpiece edition. They'll only publish them if these uh, collector's editions gets like 900 pre-orders. So those are open until October 13th. So if you want this collector's edition, you should probably make a pre-order now in order to guarantee it will get published. But Aria, the manga, has been uh, in and out of print for a while. So if you want to collect the series, like this is a good opportunity to basically get a complete bundle of it in one fell swoop with this master edition reprinting. So yeah, definitely uh, pre-order this before the 13th to ensure this will get printed and you'll receive your copy, Samaria. Um, but yeah, no, I guess it's about time to get into our, our licensing highlights, as I'm going to call it. Um, and yeah, we both picked a number of licenses to kind of highlight from the nearly 30 uh, separate licenses that have been announced since the last time we did news. And uh, you know what, uh, Lum, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Whichever is fine. Um, I can go first if you would like me to. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to start off by mentioning one that we previously got announced was coming on the show for a while, but the official announcement hadn't been made for over a year after <laughs> we announced it, or after I first learned of it, and that is All Colors by Gingor Dakame. That is coming out from Pantheon Books. We previously broke the news in our interview with Ann Ishii that I recorded back in June of 2020, and on August of uh, 2021, or it was finally announced that yes, this is coming, and it's coming in May 2022, and it's going to be in one big omnibus hardcover volume. So that is very exciting. I've been, again, looking forward to this for over a year. 
And I can't wait to read it because, you know, I'm really excited to read more of Tagami's works. I've been excited for this one for a while. Mm -hmm. This is really exciting. Uh, I'm very happy that, um, you know, shout out to the OASG for for, for picking up on our news tidbit and uh, tweeting that out. That was really that was really cool. I don't know. I don't I forget if we mentioned that already, but that that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, uh, it's it's just kind of cool that like we broke the news on that. And I'm really glad that it's coming out because uh, when it does come out, I'm sure that we will talk about it on the podcast and it'll be pretty fun. Yeah, I've really been looking forward to it, so I can't wait to read it. Next, I will mention that Last Gaps announced that it's going to be releasing a new KD.XO thing. It's, they're releasing Barefoot Gen. Can't forget, which is a memoir of Keiji Nakazawa. It's uh, going to also, you know, explore the experience of, you know, living through the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. It's a, it's a novel, so it makes for a good complement to the Barefoot Gen manga. And in addition, they are also going to be releasing a new version of Nakazawa's I Saw It, which is also a short manga that is also from his perspective, like living through the atomic bombing. And it, yeah, Barefoot Gun is a very powerful like story exploring living through the aftermaths of the atomic bombing. And uh, it's a harrowing story. It's a, you know, very angry politically charged story. But it's a, it's a great read, and a, you have a lot of respect for Nakazawa as a, a creator and an activist, so I'm definitely keen to read more of his thoughts in his novel. And also, it's cool to have, like, a new edition of I Saw It coming out soon. So, yeah, I, I have, like, a version of that from a... That last cap skate out during the last Kickstarter for hardcover editions of Earth again. But, yeah, it seems like uh, this new edition will be, like... Pretty cool, like, because it's going to be in color and stuff. So I think that's that's pretty exciting. So John and Quarterly is also doing a cool new release for kind of an indie manga. And that's Talk to My Back by Yamada Murasaki. This is going to come out in spring 2022, translated by Ryan Holberg. And Yamada Murasaki is considered one of, you know, alt manga's primary female artists. This series is uh, set in a harping complex. It explores a woman's relationship with her two daughters as they mature and assert their independence in, like, a suburban, middle-class uh, neighborhood. And her relationship with her husband, who works late and really sees his wife just as more than a domestic servant. And so... Yeah, like, uh, it has, like, a kind of Indian-handed approach to these characters navigating their relationships and kind of their their feelings about the situation they're in. And they have, like, uh, big criticisms for society at large, particularly, like, it challenges the ideal of happiness in the nuclear family or happiness in, like, the traditional idea of certain generals, like, motherhood and stuff like that. And, yeah, I... From the sample pages that were provided from John Quarterly, like, it definitely seems very pointedly about challenging the idea of the nuclear family unit as the ideal form of family, which I uh, appreciate. And, yeah, I think that it seems very interesting. I really want to check it out. You know, they say that uh, Yamada is one of the first cartoonists in Japan to use alt manga to medium to address domesticity and womanhood in realistic, critical, and sustained ways. And it's considered a watershed work of literary manga. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited to check this out and read it when it comes out next year. 
Now, speaking of stories of uh, women kind of lashing back out at the patriarchy, we I got a title from Kodansha Comics here called Sweets for Revenge from Shushushu Sakurai. That's already come out digitally uh, by the time you're listening to this. But it's about a girl who goes to, like, this certain school to, you know, get revenge on five of the most popular guys in the school because they've all wronged her in the past. And they're very popular, handsome, and accomplished. But, you know, she she wants to get revenge. And is she going to succeed? Or will this cold-hearted queen be compromised? This premise reminds me of the TV show Revenge, which, you know, has this very similar thing about this girl who wants to who wants to get revenge on like these like upper crust high class uh people who you know wronged her and her family in the past mixed in with like boys over flowers considering the setting considering the fact it's about like, like a group of guys the girl gets involved with so i think that is kind of like a fun mix of like two different premise ideas i'm sure at some point the girl is going to get compromised and like she's going to end up falling in love with one of the people she's going to you know, getting revenge in with or whatever. But, like, I think that uh, at least the starting point sounds like it, it could be a fun, perhaps even cathartic story about, like, this girl lashing out and getting back at, like, some dudes who wronged her or whatever. So I could see that being kind of fun. And then we got some titles from Yen Press that I'm very excited about. They're both very Yuri, I think. One I'm, I'm definitely think is a Yuri title. The other one, though, it is giving Yuri vibes, but I think it's a little Yuri. And the first of those is "If You Could See Love," written by Teren Mikami and Yuki Nanaji. This is about a girl who is born with the troublesome ability to see pink arrows, indicating everyone who people are in love with. And in order to escape, like being able to get involved in that stuff, she wants to enroll in an old girl's boarding school. She thinks that, you know, she goes to an old girl's school, she'll never get involved in romance again. But then while there, she discovers that there is not just one, but two arrows directed right after. Her. So this poor girl, apparently with social sheltered, she didn't realize gay people exist. So she she went to a single gender school thinking, oh, there's no chance of love that'll happen in a if there are only girls here. But no, honey, uh, <laughs> you meet some lesbians. They are now interested in you. And maybe you will discover your own sexuality, too. You know, you can see the arrows of who people are in love with uh, besides you. But what about your own arrows? Maybe you haven't been able to see those. So let's see. I think this is a very fun Yuri premise. I, you know, I think this could lead to some fun shenanigans, hijinks. So I think it's, it sounds very cute. And I like the artist style. So, yeah, this is one I, I'm looking forward to. And the other title that I, I think is going to end up being a Yuri series, but it's not, like, so explicit. But, you know, the way they're holding each other and looking at each other and the cover, you know, it, it's giving me the vibes, man. And that's The Magical Revolution of the Reincarnate Princess and the Genius Young Lady. This is written by Piero Karasu with art by Yuri Kisaragi. And this is about a princess who is inept with magic 
but she defies her aristocracy's expectations by developing magicology, which is a unique magical theory that is based on memories from her past life. And one day she witnesses a brilliant noblewoman, Euphilia, unjustly stripped of her title as the kingdom's next monarch. And that's when she comes up with a plan to help her regain her good name, which involves them living together and researching magic. And their chance encounter is not only going to alter their own futures, but those of the kingdom and the entire world. So yeah, it looks like these two ladies come together to reject like the expectations of their patriarchal society, like putting them down and pigeonholing them and uh, ostracizing them. Like they're going to team up together to change the world together. That sounds pretty cool. It sounds a little inspired by Sexiled in a way too. But kind of a different take where it's like uh, rather than adventurers, like they're like become scientists, magic scientists essentially. So I think that sounds really interesting and a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm excited to read this one as well. Like, and again, it doesn't seem from anything in the description that is going to be explicitly Yuri, but I, I think it, again, I really think it's going to end up being a Yuri series. Even if not like a story about the friendship between these two girls, you know, like teaming up to like, again, come up with cool magic theories that like change your role and prove all the people who like doubted them and their abilities wrong. Sounds like a fun time. So yeah, very excited for this one as well. Next, uh, in the subject of other kind of fantasy world set stories, there's a title from J Novel Club that I am really interested in. Oh, before I get to that, I forgot to mention that the Yen Press titles that I just mentioned are coming out in print in March 2022, but if I could see love is Ocho coming out as a digital exclusive uh, in October. So we actually will get to read that one pretty soon. So just forgot to note that. Wanted to mention that before going back to J Novel Club and yeah, the title that I was very interested in, which is Endo Kon Kobayashi Live, the latest on the Sundari Wizard Lies a Lot, which I love the name of this character, Lies a Lot. <laughs> it's just. Very funny to me. This is uh, already out. It came out in September. But it's about a prince who heard the voices of God of the blue and learned that his fiance lies a lot. Is a Sundere villainess. This seems to meet her demise, and her sharp tongue is just a way of covering up her embarrassment. And so the prince, you know, cannot hardly contain himself when he discovers, you know, his fiance is hidden inside. But, you know, little does he know that the heavenly beings at this bestow this knowledge to him are actually high schoolers and so they're actually just the so-called like prophets that he's hearing are just like high schoolers doing a let's play and commenting on the game they're playing so can he use their divine prophecy to save his betrayal to a bad end i think this premise sounds great like basically it sounds like uh it basically sounds like uh isekai uh free guy or something <laughs> like you know it's because like this guy he becomes aware that like he doesn't realize at first as a video game character, but he co- he kind of gets his own independence and sentience beyond the world of the game and can interact with people uh, or 
understand people from outside the game. So, like, he's hearing the voices, kind of these less players, so he's missing everything. Oh, they're prophets. And so, will he become fully aware of the fact that he's a game character and this world he's living in is a game? I don't know. But, like, I think it's a, a very fun idea that, like, he basically learns the meta of the world he's living in and then he tries to, like, save his fiance through learning all that. So, uh, this sounds like a very fun premise. And again, I, I love the name of the heroine as wise a lot it's just a very funny like name for a sunderay princess type character so yeah i am very much looking forward to reading this one i just appreciate how they have sunderay written out that's that's pretty funny yeah no because he misunderstands like sunderay's concept so it's like written as like a a more fancy title so sunderay (laughs) yeah I only got a couple titles in Seven Seas that I'm very interested in. Speaking of, like, fantasy-type series and um, also series about, like, characters uh, using, like, untraditional skills uh, in a fantasy world setting to, like, change the world. We got Magic Artisan Dahlia Wilts No More from Hisaya Amagishi, Megumi Shimikawa, and Kei. This is coming out physically digitally April 22. It's about a girl reincarnated in a fantasy world who immerses herself in the art of crafting magical items. Using manufacturing knowledge from her previous life and the skills her new father has taught her, she invents blow dryers and other specialized tools and finds pleasure in doing everyday activities. And she's, you know, not gonna let herself get depressed like she used to. She's gonna enjoy her to get a chance of life. So I think that sounds like a charming series, kind of like Ascendance of a Bookworm. Or which is printing office where, you know, this girl applies like kind of her practical skills from her previous life and her what she's passionate about to just like kind of help the people around her in this fantasy set, setting by inventing like new items or tools that they never thought of. So I think that sounds like a nice uh, little slice of life story about like this girl finding a, a new place in life and getting some self-confidence and the things she's passionate about by like creating these things to help other people. So I think that sounds very sweet and going to look forward to reading this one. Next, we got uh, some more queer titles from Seven Seas, starting off with Asus uh, Banjo's I Think I Turned My Childhood Friend Into a Girl by uh, As- yeah, Asus Banjo. That's coming out in May 2022. It is a classical TSF type manga, you know, so or gender bender. So yeah, it's basically, you know, a, a high school student. He gives his plain friend a makeover, transforms her life, but this time uh, the path to a new life isn't so straight and narrow. You know, the main character, you know, he's loved cosmetics all his life. He has kept his obsession a secret from her except for his childhood friend. Uh, then one day he gets permission from said friend to, to practice makeup on him, and the results are earth shattering because he transforms from looking like a plain and undecided boy to a pretty and petite girl. And uh, they both find the experience liberating and freeing. Like, Kenshiro really likes uh, the experience of, like, applying his passion and cosmetics on someone, and Hiora really likes uh, how he looks afterwards. He likes to dress up in feminine clothes, and he decides to start uh, wearing girls to school uniform to school after this and so you know they don't know if they've like unlocked something in one another you know feelings that they've never really taught up before noticed before but like there's something bubbling between them now like a, a certain attraction so i think this sounds like a very cute like exploration of both gender identity as well as sexuality 
And yeah, I think it sounds like a charming relationship. It reminds me of something that I really liked in a series that you know, I really enjoy called Four Sisters starting the day or Kelvar Yoshimai relationship between like uh, the trans main character and her girlfriend and you know, like how they kind of started to bond with each other, you know, through like her dressing her up in feminine clothing and stuff. And like they kind of formed a bond from there and yeah, I really think that sounds like a very sweet starting point for a relationship. Uh, as you know, for these two people exploring again their both their sexuality and the feeling for each other, as well as their gender identity. So yeah, I think that sounds really sweet, and we're looking forward to it. And we've got finally uh for my last license, I want to talk about is uh one that I'm really, really excited about is Asuka Miyazaki's X-Gender. That's going to come out in a big, large term edition in June of next year. And it's about a ex-gender person who realizes that they like women, but they also recognize at the same time that they are neither man or woman. They are ex-gender, which is, uh, if you don't know, a non-binary identity. And so they, in their autobiography, explore ins and outs of their journey to like kind of uh, coming out to the film and people around it as well as like finding love with women so yeah i think this is so great to see uh, like an autobiography manga like about a non-binary person about an extra person like coming out in their identity and also trying to explore love and relationships and yeah i'm really excited late to read this because you know i remember myself i'm always interested keen in reading more stories and other accounts from other non-binary people and also to have a, a manga centering on a non-binary person is also great i am very excited to read this one so yeah like uh, some really cool things announced recently that i'm excited to read including a lot of great career titles a lot of great like kind of alt feminist titles so yeah some really cool stuff mm-hmm, for sure um, all right, but yeah, I think I'm pretty much looking forward to some of those too. Um, it, admittedly, some some of those I was thinking about adding to my list, but I kind of figured you'd uh, you'd probably want to talk about them more, so I I purposely left out some of my list. And similarly, there are some titles on your list that I would have chosen if uh, you hadn't chose. Well, there we go. Uh, I guess I could start off with a title from Yen Press that I thought was interesting. A light novel entitled Ishura, written by Keiso, with illustrations from Kurita, that's going to be released on March 2022, in which it takes place in a world where the Demon King has died, and then a host of demigods capable of felling him have inherited the world. A master fencer who could figure out how to take out their opponent with a single glance. A lancer so swift they can break the sound barrier. A wyvern rogue who fights with three legendary weapons at once. An all-powerful wizard who could speak thoughts into being. And an angelic assassin who deals instant death. Eager to attain the title of one true hero, quote-unquote, these champions each pursue challenges against formidable foes and spark conflicts within themselves. The battle to determine the mightiest of mighty begins. So... This is just an entire battle of the gods kind of thing, and uh, I'm kind of all about it. So this sounds pretty cool. Um, I think this is the kind of thing, and like you know, not to say that like I'm sure the light novel isn't good, but I would love to see this like in manga form. I think this would be really cool to read. I'm very interested in it. Now this premise sounds like that series that came out on Netflix recently, which was also about like a bunch of gods like fighting each Record other. Record of Ragnarok. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was kind of thinking that too. I I kind of wonder how it compares to that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm a sucker for big like battle royale type things. So like, uh, I, it's th this one's this one's an easy sell. Doesn't take much for me to want to read this in particular. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely like to read that and check that out. Uh, as well as these two titles from Kodansha in particular. Both of which are already out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, the first one being We're on Our Own from here, from Yu Machio, in which Haruki is a second year in high school and is secretly in love with his best friend, Ryusuke. Uh, he swears he's content with their relationship, but when a girl starts showing interest in Ryusuke, uh, Haruki's feelings spin out of control. He confesses, and to his surprise, Ryusuke responds. Uh, so I thought the cover for this looked pretty cool, uh, pretty cute. I like the way it was drawn. Plus, this just, this sounds like a really interesting, like, po possible a gay BL romance type thing. Yeah, nice little rub triangle manga, kind of like blue flag, so. Mm -hmm. the, the, the way the premise was written out makes me kind of want to see, like, what's happen what happens next. Like, well, okay, what happens after that? Well, I guess I have to read it. Yeah, I mean, this is like blue flag, but starting from Toma's perspective, pretty much. Okay, okay. And then, like I said, the other one I wanted to mention was, Turns out my online friend is my real-life boss by N. Mura. Title for this is kind of self-explanatory, but uh, Hashimoto is your average office worker, young and prone to being pushed around by his demon boss, uh, Shirase. His only escape is his favorite online game and the friends he's made within. But when he plans an offline meetup for his party, he gets the surprise of his life. I wonder what's going to happen from here. Um... Yeah, this this just sounded pretty cute. Like, uh, it just sounds like an interesting, cute premise that I would definitely check out. And then uh, next up, I want to talk about some titles from Seven Seas in particular. Uh, this first one I am definitely very much looking forward to because it is another work from Satoshi Mizukami, who some of you may know as the author behind such series as Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, Spirit Circle, Planet With, all kinds of stuff. And Seven Seas picked up, I'm assuming, their latest title with World and Solte. That'll be coming out April 2022, in which the war is finally over, but the land has been ravaged. Magical pollution runs rampant, distorting time and space. Uh, Solte, an orphan whose mother and father were killed trying to eliminate this blight, decides to follow in her parents' footsteps. But rather than cleansing the pollution, uh, she wants to venture into it, like the salvagers who reclaim treasure from its deaths. Solte wants to push farther and see if she can find the other side and perhaps even the answers she seeks. So just like with most of Mizukami's works, this sounds like a very sort of out there adventurous type of premise that I think we pretty much know them for at this point. And yeah, I would definitely love to check this out because again, I admittedly, I've only really read Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer all the way through, but I've dabbled in like Mizukami's works here and there. And I really like the stuff that he does, uh, especially Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer, which Seven Seas, if you're listening, I would really like some reprints on that. It's admittedly, it's my fault for waiting too long to start buying prints of those. But man, give me another chance to buy those Seven Seas. I'd really like to start buying them. That's just thank you for your time. This is thank you for coming to my TED talk anyway. But anyway, yeah, this does sound like it could be really cool, and I would definitely love to check this out when it's out. Yeah, Mizukami's work is always great, so I'm really excited for another series from him. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, we have It's a Little Hard to Be a Villainous of an Otome Game in Modern Society, uh, written by Tofuro Futsukaichi, uh, with illustrations by K. This will be coming out digitally and physically in a large trim edition from Seven Seas in April 2022. In which, when an exhausted career woman is reincarnated as Kekain, Runa, 
the villainess of an Otome game born in the 1990s. She's determined to win at any cost. She may lose the love interest's heart, but she refuses to be ruined. Armed with the foreknowledge of the economic crash looming in on Japan's horizon, Runa must revitalize her father's company and secure her freedom for herself and her new family. So, admittedly, I haven't really dabbled much in the sort of, like, villainous Otome game genre of isekai stuff, but, like, this one this one sounds like the most... Th- this one kind of... I, I don't know. Th- this one kind of sounded like the most interesting take on that to me, considering it has to do with, like, a, a very perilous time for the Japanese economy, I'm assuming around the time, like, when the bubble bursts and everything. So, I don't know. That's just, just an interesting idea, an interesting setting for... Uh, for, for a story like this, I don't know. Uh, I, I would I would love to check it out. In general, I need to check out some of these like villainous type isekai things because like honestly, like th- they've been like popping up everywhere, and like every time I see one, I always think like, oh, the premise for this actually sounds interesting. Like th- there's, I feel like there's weirdly a lot you could do. There are a lot of angles you could take with, I guess, with this idea, this sort of like sub genre of isekai, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing some fun iterations as the trend has become very popular. I mean, I just mentioned Lies a lot. It's also a, a story about a villainous set of taking a fun, weird meta route to it. So, yeah, I think that there are some cool variations we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, I want to talk about Wicked Trapper, Hunter of Heroes by Wadapen, which is a manga that will be coming out physically and digitally from Seven Seas uh, in March 2022 in which Echizen is a game designer being ground under the boot of his high-pressure job. His demanding workplace won't even let him do what he's best at, and that is building brutal puzzles and traps for players. Uh, When he quits his job, something suddenly sucks him into a hellish dungeon in another world. His path collides with the alluring demon princess Sophilia, but before he can explain how or why he's summoned, they're threatened by a party of marauding heroes, and Echizen watches in horror as the heroes enact a genocidal massacre on Sophila's demon friends. With his life on the line, Echizen uses the world's magic to put his game developer skills to use in Sophilia's defense. The deadly traps he creates gives the heroes some brutal comeuppance, but the rush of power unlocks Echizen's most sadistic impulses, leading him down a path he may never be able to return back from. Um, so... This premise, I feel like, gets more and more wild as you, like, read on, and that really kind of has my interest. And I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out, because because it, I guess, just judging from the premise, it just kind of seems like this down-and-out game developer guy, you know, down on his luck, not being treated very well at his job, somehow has, like, the... I, th- th- this sounds like the kind of thing where he he could easily become, like, an anti-hero kind of thing. Or at least like a villainous hero. I don't know. I'm just interested in seeing like where this goes. Yeah, it could go in a lot of different directions. But it sounds like it starts from kind of a, a somewhat a place of absurdity. I don't know if it's going to play things for laughs or take it more seriously. But it's an interesting twitch to, you know, of course, portray the heroes as the antagonists. And then the villains, uh, the demons are like the people we're sympathizing with and who the main protagonist is helping so it's, it's an interesting like switcheroo there i'm gonna lean towards this is probably gonna be a more um like a more tongue-in-cheek comedic take i would be kind of disappointed if this is the kind of thing that like ends up taking itself a little too seriously and it ends up becoming like really grim dark or whatever unironically i don't know i hope it doesn't turn into that but i guess we'll have to see 
And I guess next up, there's actually a title from J Novel Club I wanted to uh, shout out, and that is Goodbye Otherworld, See You Tomorrow, which is a light novel by Kazumi Dori featuring illustrations from Nimoshi, which is already out by the time you're listening to this, in which uh, the world he woke up in is long dead, dusted in ash and powder, and yet Keisuke still sees splashes of color as he travels through it. For the longest time, he's wandered alone across the deserted landscape, clinging to the hope that something or someone might be out there in the emptiness. When he finally stumbles across that someone, even more threads of color start to seep into the ashen world around them. This time, when Keisuke sets off down the road, someone sits beside him in the passenger seat, the first acquaintance he's ever made here, his first companion in this barren world. They're both traveling in search of something, and after searching alone for so long, uh, maybe they'll have better luck working together. Their only lead is a witch who can answer any question for a price. Uh, what will the two ask her, and what will she be able to tell them? More importantly, what will it cost them, and will they be willing to pay the price? Um, so this sounds like it could be pretty, like, so pretty interesting. Um, definitely very melancholic, I think, and something kind of along the. I don't know. It for for me when I when I started reading this premise, like the first thing I thought of was like the beginning of To Your Eternity, almost, where it's like these characters constantly traveling through this like uh, traveling through this wasteland in search of like. Uh, I guess I don't know what they're searching for in this case, but you know, insert maybe a search of like a person or home. I don't know. It just the premise leaves a lot for me to kind of like. I don't think it tells me like everything. It keeps and it keeps things like vague enough to where like I am interested in like maybe checking this out and seeing what's up with it. But I guess the last two titles I want to mention are from Starfruit Books. The first one being Grin 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 from Sangato that'll be coming out in early 2022. Which is basically like an anthology of stories, I'm assuming, from this particular author. And um, just kind of like judging from the like uh, from the preview of the art that uh, Starfruit Books would tweet it out, it looks really, really cool and really interesting. And uh, I definitely really want to check it out. That along with uh, You're an Idol from Zaki. Uh, that'll basically be a 54 page one shot uh, that'll be coming out uh, in print and digital in early 2022. Uh, which is a story about a pig who decides to become an idol after being inspired by a cat idol named Michan. In the end, will this little piggy be able to overcome all the trials that await and become a true idol? So, just judging from the cover of this, uh, I think it's definitely like a more, uh, it's probably a manga meant for like younger kids, probably. But it looks really cute, though. And I, I like the idea of like these cute little piggies being being an idol. It's just, it's cute. I would definitely love to check this out. Yeah. It does look very cute and charming. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of about it for my list of licenses. And just in general, I, I think we picked out some pretty good ones to highlight. Absolutely. Before we move on to discussing industry news, there are some serialization news updates I just want to mention quickly. Uh oh. First, to give more details on the new Nakatani's new manga that I mentioned earlier. The translated or localized title would be God Must Have Made a Bug. And to elaborate more on the premise of it, it's a science fiction manga that centers on scientists who live in their everyday lives in the strange world of bugs. And 
the main scientist in the series is a bug researcher. And also the landlord of the main character, who's a middle school kid. So I just wanted to elaborate more on the premise uh, that I gave out earlier. Also wanted to mention that Kei Chiarawi is actually having another new work being published in Shonen Ace Magazine on October 26th. We don't know if it's a series or one-shot just yet, but it's going to be on the cover of the issue. It's going to have an opening color page. So potentially more than one new manga from Arawi running at the same time, which is interesting. And also from different publishers, both with Shigakukan and Katakawa. So very curious there. And on the subject of Katakawa, they are having a new Gundam manga coming out in uh, the next Gundam Ace uh, magazine issue by Hajime Komoshida, who has done a lot of other Gundam manga in the past, like the Iron Brothered Orphans manga, and also was a scriptwriter for that series, and also the, the Rascal manga, Rascal the Dream of a Bunny Girl manga. And their new Gundam manga is called uh, Mobile Suit Gundam 8, and it's going to be similar to like Gundam Below, and that's going to take place in a new world. And with new characters, so it's not going to take place in the Universal Century timeline. So that's interesting. The new Gundam series set in a new uh, universe. So looking forward to that as well. So I just wanted to mention those quickly as uh, some like just new serialization kind of updates announcements that came out uh, as we were recording. But moving on into industry news, we only got one piece, but it is a big one, and that's Comixology is going to launch a new app. They're going to revamp their existing app and relaunch it. But even more significantly, I think, is that they're going to be shuttering its like individual standalone website. It's not going to have a separate website from Amazon anymore. Basically, Comixology is just going to end up becoming like a page on Amazon you can navigate to. And so the idea is to make filtering and sorting easier but i also would just rather prefer comicsology be a separate thing from amazon yeah i don't like it ultimately i i guess it would i guess i don't know if the experience is going to change that much but you know by integrating into amazon that gives them the opportunity to like uh, sell you other products besides comics you don't watch and when you search for things so you know your algorithm they're when you never search for things, their algorithms can market to you other shit you don't really want to see pop up or buy. So it's very annoying. But, you know, that's what's happening. So the comicology experience looks like it might get a little worse if you're reading it on browser. Now that it's integrated into Amazon, maybe it'll be a little better when the app updates and maybe the app will be better. I guess the other notable thing is that by like doing this integration, you'll be able to read your purchases on Comixology on your Kindle app too. So that is kind of a, a nice thing. But yeah, otherwise, I'm a big fan of uh, removing Comixology's external website and just integrating into Amazon. Now, going into our interest pieces and returning to Glacier Bay Books, as we mentioned before... Uh, their Glaolia 2 collection won the Outstanding Anthology Award at the Small Press Expo's uh, Ignatz Awards for 2021. So that's very, very cool to see like an indie manga, uh, especially from a like, small publisher, get recognized and earn an award. And yeah, you know, these awards are meant to recognize outstanding achievements in comics and cartooning. And so I'm glad that you know, Glaolia was recognized as such an accomplishment as being a collection of great works uh, from a great small publisher, just 
putting out a lot of cool indie manga. Now uh, we're getting into some anime and anime film news. And Colton, I think you were really excited for this one. So you want to talk about it? Yeah, so um, we mentioned a while ago at this point that Tubi TV was going to be picking up a bunch of Anpan Man movies to uh, put on the platform. And uh, I forget if we like, reported this when it came out, but uh, I, I know at some point after that, uh, one or two films, I think, showed up. Because uh, I, I remember like watching a bit of one of them. I forget which one. It was definitely one of them. I think it was the one with like the little apple boy character i thought that one was kind of cute but uh yeah it looks like they've added seven more films since then and yeah i mean i haven't watched like a lot of them yet from the little i've watched of one of them um the one thing i'm kind of disappointed in and i'm not not to say anything bad about like the english dub because i think from what i watched it was pretty good but i I am kind of disappointed that like the japanese versions of these films aren't available on tubi because i was really looking forward to uh listening to some more ryusei nakao because he plays a pretty big like antagonist in in that franchise so you know those versions of the movies aren't really available from what i can tell it's it's only available in english and spanish so I hope maybe they'll put the Japanese versions of some of these films on there. But otherwise, again, that's not to say anything bad about the English dub for these movies, because so far I think they're actually pretty good. But, you know, I, I just want more Ryusei Nakao. That's all I want. That's all I wanted. Yeah, that's what we all need. That's why Dragon Ball Super brought Frieza back, and that's why we keep inventing <laughs> all these Frieza knockoffs, so that even when he's not around, he's, he's in the series in some form. Uh, yeah, but um, again, if you were interested in uh, watching any Anpan Man films, uh, you got a whole bunch of them on Tubi TV available. Um, I, I definitely want to check out at least some of them because I, I've always wanted to check out some Anpan Man because it it looks like a cute show. Yeah, and in terms of other anime film news and anime films geared more towards the family set and younger children, we have the announcement that the next Pokemon film is finally coming out in English and finally dropping on Netflix on October 8th, Secrets of the Jungle. This movie came out as Pokemon, the movie Coco in Japan last year, and it looked really beautiful in terms of the animation and uh, the background design and stuff and i've been wanting to watch it for a while so i'm glad it's finally coming out on netflix i'm definitely keen to watch it this definitely was a longer turnaround than usual for one of these um so yeah i'm really excited to check this out i'm bummed that i won't get to watch it in the theater like the previous ones though but alas netflix i guess has the streaming deal for all of the pokemon stuff now so it is what it is. And also in terms of Netflix now kind of monopolizing the streaming lights for a franchise. I guess, Golden, if you want to do the next one. Yeah, so it looks like according to Netflix, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6 Stone Ocean, which is going to be coming out this December, I believe, uh, looks like it's going to be streaming monthly on Netflix, at least according to them, um, which I can only assume means that they're going to put out a few episodes a month, probably like four or five or so, as it's airing on television, probably, which, you know, I I know a lot of people kind of get a little upset with netflix in terms of like wishing they could like simulcast more things instead of like just waiting until the show's over to like put up the whole show at once i I think this is an okay like middle ground like honestly i would have been kind of upset if i had to like just wait a bunch of months for part six to come out like as nice as weekly would have been i'm cool with accepting this like i'm cool with watching a bunch of jojo every month like i think that's fine personally but i know other people might feel differently so 
Patches should work out for JoJo since JoJo is written in terms of like these, you know, multi-part arcs, basically, right? You know, like yeah. these multi-part fights. So basically, like every month we'll probably get one or two of those, you know, a month. Yeah. So I think that works out pretty well for the series, actually, in terms of like the watching experience. If you get those dropped, like you can have like kind of a, a complete story you can watch in one sitting without like having that broken up in the weekly installment pacing but also you know you don't have to like wait large gaps of time if they waited like after every three months to put it up on netflix so you know i think this is a good compromise and i think this is going to be uh, a pretty decent way to watch the show and experience it now speaking of the uh, new netflix shows or shows coming to netflix we have the announcement that the netflix cowboy bebop show is finally coming out it has a november 19th premiere they put up the opening online it's basically like a big remake of tank with you know some changes mainly they added a bunch of scenes i guess of characters that that, that they're going to show in the show like i guess they're remaking a lot of the a lot of classic stories in the new show too but yeah like the new netflix live action cowboy bebop coming out on november 19th i'm actually looking forward to it because i think the casting was pretty good I will, i'm curious to see what they've done with it i kind of have mixed feelings about the fact that they're just redoing older stories for it but i think that you know maybe they can expand on them and like they can do those stories in a different way so i'll, I'll be interested in seeing their reinterpretation similarly i'm interested in seeing this new comic series that's going to be kind of an adaption that's like a tie-in spinoff to the new live action cowboy Bebo show it's going to be published by titan comics written by dan waters who's written uh, lucifer homesick pilots and it's going to be drawn by lamar merthen matherin and yeah so this is gonna be like kind of a comic series it's gonna have like four issues it's gonna debut in december it's gonna have a collected trade edition come out paperback in may 2022 uh, it has cover art by stanley lau who has done covers for osange x-men and captain marvel it's gonna be a never before seen story set in bebop so it's not gonna be like an adaptation of an episode of the show or of the anime so that'll be interesting and in addition to that, there's going to be a prequel novel that's going to come out on November 23rd that's going to focus on a young Spike and Vicious. So it's more, more of the, the lore of those characters as will be portrayed in the new show. And there's also going to be a making of book for the Netflix series, a hardcover book that's going to release on January 11th, 2022. So if you want to know some of the production deets and, de- and some more of a, like the behind-the-scenes stuff about the making of the live-action show, you can check out that book when it comes out next January. So yeah, there, there are a lot of cool tie-in products uh, that are also coming out alongside this new live-action Netflix show. So also probably a good precedent for other stuff they'll do when other future live-action projects of theirs uh, come out in terms of like their anime uh, live-action adaptations, like the One Piece one. And also we're noting that the comic's first issue is going to have like a lot of different variant covers. There's like seven of them. It's like a lot. And yeah, I, I think my favorite one is probably Afu-chan's. I just like the style of that a lot. With like Faye at like the cards table, like showing cards and uh, and all these chips, and then we have you know Spike and Jin background, like drawing their gunfire. Like I like the style of that one a lot. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of cool ones though. Like I think of these are uncovered. So yeah, I'm interested in checking out this comic. I'm interested in checking out the show. 
Like, I'm curious to see what will come of it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing how it'll turn out. I imagine it'll end up being fine. Like, I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see, like, how much, like, tie-in stuff they're doing for this. It, it really feels like, the, like they really want this to do well, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they're just redoing certain stories because I thought I read somewhere that, like, it wasn't just going to be a remake of the original series. But, yeah, I don't know. At the very least, there's going to be a lot of characters that are going to show up again. Uh, and there's so many, there are also, you know, there are a lot of visual symbols of like, oh, so they're going to make use of that story purely. Like all the TVs at the end of the opening, you know, it's like brain scratch. So it's like, oh, are they, they're going to have the brain scratch cult at least be involved in the new series. And then, of course, we see like Parolafu. We see yeah. like the characters from the first episode. We see... You know, all the all these uh, supporting characters from like one of episodes in the original show that maybe they'll make a bigger deal. Like the the eco animal terrorists from the, the fourth episode are also like in a shot. So it's like, oh, are they are they gonna make some of these guys recurring characters? Or are they just gonna redo the stories? Or are they gonna make new stories evolving them? I mean, I'm I I'm tickled that they're doing Teddy the Teddy Bear Bomber guy. So, I, but I didn't see like um. Andy, I didn't see the cowboy guy in the opening, so I don't know if he's going to be there. Maybe he'll be in season two. Like Ed, hopefully. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, you know, we'll see how well this does. I think, though, that they're making good effort with this one. I'm more hopeful for it than I was with the Death Note one. I think that this will be a fun time. At the very least, I think it'll get people to, if they haven't already, check out the classic Cowboy Bebop. And certainly, you know, watching that opening kind of made me be like, oh, man, I want to I want to watch some Cowboy Bebop now. It's been a while. So, yeah, I am looking forward to it. Now, speaking of other live action adaptations of manga and anime, Drops of God is getting a U.S. and French co-produced uh, live action TV series. It's going to be collaboration between Legendary Television, Dynamic Television, Prime Televisions and Hulu Japan. Uh, also producing a project with Adeline Entertainment. It's going to be directed by Oded Ruskin, who has done Absentia, No Man's Land, and Hwok Don Tron, who has done Mariana Parallel, uh, adapting screenplay. And Dynamics Claus Zimmerman, of course, is doing uh, the is producing the series, uh, Borgia and uh, Trapped, that they're known for. Interestingly, the TV series is going to have a female protagonist instead of a male protagonist, but the basic premise uh, in terms of the relationship between the protagonist and their father it's going to be the same in term and like that and like the idea of like why they're such a why now why they're so uh skilled in understanding the taste of wine and stuff like that so yeah i think that's interesting adaptation choice uh, i think it's interesting that it's going to be like this big international co-production between like France, the U.S., Japan, and Italy. Uh, it's going to be an eight-episode, one-hour series. It's going to star actress Flora Greffier, and it will have as her Japanese rival in the series, uh, Tomihiso Yamashita, who has been in the live-action uh, Terraformers and Karasaki films. And yeah, it's going to be distributed by Legendary Outside Japan. Hulu Japan's exclusively uh, streaming it in Japan. I don't know if Hulu US will as well. We'll see where it lands. But it's interesting to have like this big co-pro for Drop to God. I'm, I'm definitely keen to check it out uh, whenever it comes out of here. And similarly, I am excited 
that this is finally coming out, the live-action Saint Seiya. First announced way back in 2017, though based on uh, my Twitter timeline, I guess everyone forgot about that and was like, oh, <laughs> this is the announcement of a live-action Saint Seiya? No, they've been working on this for four years, friends. But finally, we have an uh, announcement of the cast who are going to be in the series. You also got kind of a synopsis of the film's story. So the film is starring Ma Ken Yu, uh, who is in Pacific Rim Uprising, uh, Roni Kenshin the Final, the live action I threw. Uh, it's going to have Madison Izeman, who is in the Jumanji sequels, Sean Bean, who is, of course, in Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, a bunch of classy, like, live action fantasy things. Uh, Frank Janison from Exodus and Taken, Nick Stahl from Fear of the Walking Dead, Diego Tinoco from On My Block. And Mark Dasikos from John Wick, Parabellum, Crying Freeman, a bunch of things. And yeah, it's also going to have a, you know, for Toei, it's going to be directed by Tomasz Baginski, who is like a Polish and special effects creator. Uh, they're working with Sony Pictures Worldwide, Acquisitions. And the stunt coordinator is going to be Andy Chang, who is the stunt creator for Chang Chi and Legend Ten Ming, which has uh, some really great fighting sequences and choreography. So I think uh, that's a good omen there, a good sign there. Uh, the writers are Josh Campbell and Matt Stuckin uh, from Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's being distributed by Toei in Japan. Started pictures worldwide. Acquisitions is distributing outside Japan, except in China and the Middle East. I don't know if we know much about uh, how that will be distributed in those countries. Uh, but, you know, the the film is wrapping up production. Like, it's been filmed. It's uh, been filming in Hungary, Croatia, and it's, like, wrapping up. So, you know, presumably we might see it come out in the next year or so. The synopsis of the live film is that, uh, you know, McKinney is going to be portraying Seiya. And in this version of the story, Saint Seiya, uh, Seiya is going to be a, a street orchid. Uh, he's going to be... You know, uh, awake, his cosmos is going to awaken in him, and then he's going to go on the journey to, you know, conquer and get the, the Pegasus armor. And then he's going to choose a side in the battle for the fate of, uh, Sienna. I guess they're going with Sienna Cesari, who is, you know, a teen, of course, and is struggling with her godly powers. And, uh, Sean Vini is going to be penetrating Almon Keto who is going to recruit Seiya into the Knight's Order. So I guess they're going with Knights instead of things to this. And, uh, you know, which he found when he discovered that, you know, Se- uh, Sari was the reincarnate goddess. And then Tinoko is a man hired to kill the vulnerable goddess. I don't know what character necessarily that Diego Tinoko is, like, playing necessarily from Saint Seiya. But, uh, yeah, you know, she's going to be, like, target of assassination or not. So it's interesting. I mean, they don't, uh, they haven't really, I don't know if, Based on these pictures, based on this cast list, like we know who's playing like other characters like Shiryu or Hyoga or Iki or whatever. Maybe they're not even going to be in this film. It'll just be about Seiya. But it's interesting. Like it's they're not quite doing a straight adaptation of Seiya, but it's also not straying too far from it. But they are using like the old DIC localized names for like Sienna and then her grandfather. Yeah, so it's like kind of a weird mishmash of like a localization choices and then trying to stay faithful enough to the original idea of the story. So I'm curious to see how this is going to turn out, uh, what the film will be like. Like I 
the whole idea behind this is that Toei wants to expand the reach of Saint Seiya globally, you know, and make it more of a global franchise. So we'll see if this effort pays off and if they've, you know, really made a, a good film out of this. And yeah, if this really becomes a live action franchise or series. So something to keep an eye on. Definitely very curious about it. At the very least, I hope this doesn't turn out to be another Dragon Ball Evolution. I hope it's at least better than that. Well, since Toei's actually involved in this one, I would hope so. You know, they didn't just leave Fox to their own devices on this. Uh, so Fox isn't even involved. So, you know, hey, there we go. We have people who we have actually the Japanese producers of all the people who are actually handling the franchise trying to do this. So you, we can hope for the best, I think. Yeah, I just hope they don't stray too far from what makes the series so appealing in their attempts to make it globally appealing. But nevertheless, uh, now we're returning to kind of anime announcement news, and it looks like we're getting more fairy tale anime. If Eden Zero wasn't enough for you, it's basically the same thing as fairy, fairy tale, but in space. Like you can have actual fairy tale back because Fairy Tale: A Hundred Years Quest is getting a TV anime. It's been running for a while, like there's like ten volumes of this, so it's no surprise that they're making an anime of this now. So yeah, have you been wanting to see more adventures of the Fairy Tale Guild and all the core characters? Yeah, the sequel series is getting an anime adaptation, and that should probably come out next year. So yeah, if you're a Fairy Tale fan, I'm sure that's uh, very exciting. I honestly have not checked out the sequel at all. Maybe I should one of these days. But I think I've got my Mashima fill from Eden Zero, so. That's that's totally fair. Um, look, I mean, some people may be surprised to hear this, but people still like Fairy Tale, you know? Oh, no, Fairy Tale has always been very popular, and it's consistently been. But, yeah, now uh, we have some updates on Demon Slayer, and uh, Colton, you wanted to take these away? Yeah, um, so big updates for Demon Slayer, uh, the anime in particular. So um, I just I just want to note that um, literally, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be like slightly older news, but uh, we literally got all this info like just like a day or two before we started recording this podcast. Because uh, before before we recorded today, all we knew was that the Demon Slayer anime was going to be two cores. We didn't have a release date or nothing, but now... Now we have a lot of info about the second season of Demon Slayer. Uh, starting first off is that apparently the anime is going to be readapting the Mugen Train arc. And by that, I mean, uh, they're basically going to, I guess, edit down the movie to like six episodes. And it's going to be including like new BGM and everything. But it's, it's going to be seven episodes altogether because they are going to start off with like a completely original episode. Yeah, it's apparently going to focus on Rengoku on a mission before he gets the call to go on the Mugen train. I can only imagine that means they're going to cover that special chapter that came out around the time Mugen train was in theaters. Possibly. I don't know about the timeline about that, whether like that took place like right before Mugen train. Because that sound, that, that chapter took place like an earlier part in Rengoku's like career as a Demon Slayer. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know like how they're if they're going to come up with something new or they're going to adapt something pre-existing. One episode isn't enough to do like that Rengoku like Gaiden spin-off, so I don't think it'll be that. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that special chapter as like a flashback kind of thing. Like, oh, let's remember this thing before I go on this mission or something. I don't know. I'm sure they could probably work it in somehow. 
It is a good establishment or like compliment to understanding Rengoku's views on what it means to sacrifice yourself for someone else for a greater cause and also the duty a person has to protect someone else and stuff like that. So, you know, it would be worthwhile to adapt to this part of the show because it complements the themes and like his role and fate in the story. But yeah, whether they will, I mean, I guess that's up to see. I'd be interested in seeing if they are going to do an original thing. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Um, so this arc in particular is going to start airing on October 10th. So probably about like a week or less at the time you're listening to this probably. So it's coming very soon. And yeah, I, I don't know. I am I might check that out. Like I'm, I'm interested in like how they'll like edit Mugen Train for TV I'm just kind of interested in seeing uh, how that's going to turn out, and you know what? I I like the Mugen Train movie. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to watch it week to week, see how it goes. Yeah, I'm curious about like their new scenes that they're going to add into it more than anything. I think that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess we don't really know like how much new animation there's going to be, but it'll be interesting to see how much they do. But you know, if if you're if you're waiting for the Entertainment District arc to be adapted, well, hey, look, you're in luck. Because that's going to start airing on December 5th. Um, so that in particular is actually going to be starting out with a one-hour special episode. And yeah, it's going to be taking place, obviously, right after the and Train arc. And I- I'm very much looking forward to the Entertainment District arc because it's a good arc. And I had a, I had a lot of fun like reading through it. Like It'll be interesting to see, because honestly, like I think that's just going to be an entire core honestly especially with like well i think it's gonna be an entire rest of the season because i don't know if they i don't know it depends on their how they'll pace things but you know if they're doing Mugen train as the first seven episodes then you know i originally i thought like if they were gonna do with this season uh, the first half the first core would have been entertainment and second half would be swordsman village but now i don't think they can do both I mean, they could do both, but with the way they, they like to try. pace the anime, I mean, they could easily do both, honestly, but the way they seem to like to pace the anime, uh, it seems like they're only going to do Entertainment District as this the rest of the season, and I guess they'll save uh, Swordsmith Village, which is fine, but yeah, uh, I'll be curious to see what they do, because even then, I don't know if Entertainment District is enough content to fill out the rest of a season. Uh, if it's like has to be the remaining 17 episodes or whatever so uh, maybe they'll add some other things in i mean honestly i would i wouldn't mind if they like expanded on some things like if we got like uh some original episode like exploring maybe the backstory of uzui and his uh wives and stuff like that like expand on that so there's potential for expansion of course and maybe they can add original things like there's stuff in like those demon slayer light novels maybe they could adapt for extra content we'll see how they handle it but like uh this definitely is like uh disrupting my ideas of like what i thought they were going to do in terms of how they would pace out the the season since they're doing Ugin train as like the first couple months of it now mm-hmm. what i originally thought they were going to do was um you know when we originally found out this was going to be two cores like i easily thought they were going to do like entertainment district for the first core and then maybe dedicate at least most of the next core to swordsmith village and then maybe i could honestly see them do if not a part of maybe like the that entire final arc in like maybe a trilogy of movies honestly if they if they want to do more movies yeah i mean the entire final arc could easily be done in one season 2 
That's I mean, true. Yeah. See, the, I guess if they're comfortable with this idea of like doing a movie and then just recutting it for or the show or readapting it for the show, then like the sky's the limit, I guess, for them to like, I guess, like they committed to doing entertainment strict as a uh, as the sh- as like the next you know story arc in the show, but. You know, maybe they'll do Swordsmith Millage next as the next movie, and then they'll cut that up into the show, and then they'll do, or yeah, I mean, they could do the last arc as a show. But the thing about the last arc is that I don't; it doesn't really work well for a movie because it is just like fight after fight after fight. Like, how do you break that out? How do you pace that out in a movie to make that like satisfying? Like, I would much rather they do if they're gonna try and make, like, one or two more movies out of this. Maybe they do Swartzmith Village as a movie, and then maybe they can come up with, like, an original movie as, like, an epilogue for the last one, and that will be, like, here is, like, the the final, the true end of Demon Slayer that now you have to see as a movie. Like, maybe they could do that, like, have their own, like, Naruto the last kind of movie. And so we'll see. We'll see how they handle this. I mean, clearly they're going to keep making anime. They're going to keep doing Demon Slayer stuff in adaptation so long as it continues to be one of the most popular things ever. Mm-hmm. Look, at the very least, I'm fully expecting that, like, they're probably going to do that final fight with Muzan as, like, a movie. I could easily see them doing that, actually. That would work, but then I would also be weird as, like, okay, you've watched the show... And now you need to go to the theater to watch this one fight as an entire movie. And it's like, yeah, I just don't know how you... I mean, you can do that. It's just kind of like kind of a strange, awkward thing to do. But we'll see. I mean, yeah, the speculating on the future of Demon Slayer's anime aside, um, like I mentioned, the Entertainment District art is going to start on December 5th. And yeah, I'm just really excited that we finally have like a release date for this because like, it's just so interesting, like how long they they waited on like announcing a release date for it. I I really would be interested in knowing like why that was. I wonder if they were having some production issues that made them uncertain of when they would be able to release it, so they didn't want to commit to a date just yet. But hopefully they managed to smooth things out and the the quality of the show won't suffer for it, but I also hope the animators didn't have to crunch to make things happen, because that would really suck. But knowing Gufatabo's schedules uh, are not always the greatest, uh, I would unfortunately think that maybe some crunch really did happen and so that would be unfortunate but i know i i do hope the show is maintained its uh, level of quality because that you know uh, i would like to continue seeing demon sir like receive like you know top quality uh adaptations but i wish uh, you know i would prefer if there would be a compromise between that and also a healthy schedule for the animators and the production team yeah exactly um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season of Demon Slayer. Um, something else I'm looking forward to is that uh, it's finally been confirmed that My Hero Academia, the movie World Heroes Mission, is going to be coming out in theaters in North America on October 29th via Funimation. I'm pretty sure it's going to be both subbed and dubbed. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited that this movie's coming out and... Uh, you know, from from the trailers that have been coming out and everything, like it looks like it'll be pretty cool. Plus, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited that Asian Kung Fu Generation did a song for the movie because I love them. And 
yeah, it just it just looks good. Like I'm very excited to to watch it in theaters. Hopefully, yeah, I always enjoy watching anime movies in theaters. This is no exception. This turnaround time makes sense. This is basically the same kind of turnaround time frame Funimation has kind of been doing for some of these films. Like One Piece Stampede released in August 2019, came out October uh 2019 in the u.s and then similarly the last mj film was released in december 2019 and came out in march 2020 so like this kind of three month staggered release makes sense so i'm glad to see it's coming out in late october here and yeah based on what i've heard in terms of earlier views of the movie bigger fans of my hero i think they liked it but from like other people are like oh i like a hero they're like eh, it's probably not one of the stronger movies it might be one of the weaker movies so regardless i'm interested in just seeing it on the big screen because like the animation spectacle i think will be like very fun to witness as was the climax of like uh the heroes rising film so Mm -hmm. i at least hope that this movie is like just a little better than heroes rising or at the very least doesn't have the kind of bullshit that was at the end of heroes rising that that's Mm -hmm. god that's that's like the worst thing about that movie that like i just can't get over I, ho- I hope there's nothing like that in this movie, um, but I guess we'll just have to see. I'm I'm excited for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also other uh, cool movie projects coming out and that have been licensed to come out. G-Kids has licensed the Pompo the Cinephile film. Then they will be releasing that in theaters in North America in early 2020 in both English subs and English dub. And yeah, it's a cool film that's basically about the craft and movie making and about a talented movie producer who looks like a girl who operates out of a movie capital called Nyaliwood and has been shooting one B-grade entertainment flick after another. And then her film book assistant one day spots a new script written by them and it's moved by the story. And so, you know, they want to make this a finished work in theaters as soon as possible. And so the Carl though tells him that he should shoot it instead, so he gets the he gets his first directing gig, and then like a an ordinary girl who arrives in town with actress unions also gets discovered and gets the star in the movie. So I think this sounds like a fun little film about movie making, and yeah, I'm very excited to check it out when it comes out in theaters next year. Speaking of films licensed by G Kids set to come out uh, next year. It was recently reported that Bell, Momohosoda's latest film, has now become his highest grossing film. It's overtaking The Boy and the Beast's gross, and has now earned upwards of $53.4 million. So yeah, it's quite uh, impressive that Bell is doing so well uh, commercially in Japan. And it will be interesting to see if it will replicate similar success here in North America when it comes out over here. In terms of other cool new movie announcements, My Life is a Villainous, All Roots Lutonum is getting a movie falling off the heels of its second season. And yeah, it's exciting to see Villainous and uh, Katarina and all their friends on the big screen. So yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. I mean, I hope that it'll be shown in US theaters over here. If not, then I'll watch it streaming. But yeah, it's cool to see that Villainous is getting a movie, and I wonder what kind of uh, big screen adventure that will be. But we're turning to the subject of films that will come out in US theaters, or rather screenings of anime coming to US theaters. Uh, another thing that you can look forward to happening in late October, uh, between October 22nd and 28th, in fact, is that Lupin the Third 
is going to have a special 50th anniversary uh, theatrical screening event here in North America where they'll be showing the first episode of part one with the world premiere of a brand new English dub. That's right. Uh, they're going to be dubbing the very first episode of Lupin ever. In They're going to be screening in the English theaters. And alongside that, they'll also be screening the first two episodes of part six. So those will only be English subs. Uh, that sounds like a fun theatrical event. I'm definitely excited to go to that and, you know, check out, oh, the a first episode of part one dubbed. That's really cool. I wonder if they'll dub the rest of part one. I wonder what cast they're using. I mean, I imagine it's the Tony Oliver cast, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I like seeing Lupin Deers. I like seeing anime screenings in theaters. I'm keen to check it out. I'm also, in general, excited for part six because we've got some more details for it, uh, namely that there's going to be a lot of cool guest writers on the series, including Mamoru Oshii. Mamoru Oshii, of course, was originally contracted at one point in time to do a Lupin, the third film, that never ended up seeing the, the light of gay. But yeah, now he is actually going to get involved in the Lopan franchise. And I'm curious to see what kind of crazy, psychedelic, philosophical kind of take he's going to have with the characters. But we also got other like veteran uh, esteemed writers like Masaki Suji, who did a lot of Mushi Pro stuff like Astro Boy and you know, Triton. We also got a uh, popular mystery novelist, Taku Ishibe, who did Murder in the Red Chamber. We got a veteran science fiction novelist, Akio Higuchi of Zone, mystery and suspense novelist, Kanai Minato of Confession. And then, yeah, like just a who's who of interesting writers for this new Lupin series, like coming in to guest write episodes. And we also got like a lot of cool art directors like Yumi Masumiya, Hocha Bizen, Huramasa Ugora, Wakataru, Nishizawa, Yom Shon Lee, and Yusuke Takeda. We got Hiromi Miyakawa, the color key artist, uh, Kenny Sasaki is the compositing director of Fogarty, uh, Masato Yoshitake is the editor, Yuji Yamizu is directing sound, and Hiromune Kurahashi is having the sound effects. So, like a who's who of talent again. Like some really cool stuff. And like, yeah, like, they're gonna get a lot of these writers free reign. Like, script supervisor Takahiro Okura said to Oshi, like, please revite whatever he writes. And like, Oshi said he's great for the production, he's gonna use his script. So, I, again, I'm really excited to see like what's going to come out of Lupin 3 part 6 because it seems like they are really going to do something like new and adventurous with the story here and like not afraid to like pull in a lot of different writers for ideas and come up with some cool stories. Of course the main plot of part 6 is going to be Lupin matching wits with like Sherlock Holmes after Watson is murdered and Lupin like becomes the top suspect and he has to prove his innocence and bring down a shadowy organization called the raven if he wants to prove his good name and stuff like that so that's going to be also kind of an interesting thing is like yeah lupon coming face to face to shane like Holmes, you know so yeah i think that's cool i'm really excited for part six and just check it out new lupon anime since uh it's been a while since part five so yeah, super excited for this. Super excited to see the first couple episodes, plus the double part one in the theaters. The only bittersweet note is that, sadly, Kiyoshi Kobayashi has retired as Jigen. He was playing Jigen basically since the start of the Lupin anime, way back in the very first episode. And now he has uh, retired. 
His last appearance will be in episode zero of part six. So that's going to be uh, the first episode of part six, essentially. Akio Otsuka is going to replace Kobayashi as uh, Jigen in a lot of their episodes of uh, part six. So, you know, Kobayashi has been doing this role for over 50 years. Like it's truly been like a, a life's work kind of role, a finding iconic voice and role. And it's going to be sad to see him part ways their franchise, but I'm glad he's parting ways just through retirement rather than, you know, sadly passing away. And I hope he enjoys just retirement and just enjoys a good rest, uh, you know, with the contented knowledge that he was able to broadlight such an iconic and beloved character for so many years. And I welcome Akio to do the role. And I think that's in terms of voice match, in terms of uh, feeling of his voices, I think that's a, a good replacement. That, that I think that's a good person to bring in to fill in Kobayashi's footsteps for Shigen. Yeah, I uh, I think I saw like a recording of like a clip that they aired of the anime like on Japanese TV or whatever. So I get to hear a little bit of him in SG again a little while back. And honestly, I I think he'll fill the role pretty nicely. You know, as as sad as I am to see that Kobayashi's retiring from the role, like he he he's he's been voicing Jigen for over fifty years. Like he deserves a break. The dude is literally almost ninety years old. Like he deserves to retire. He's put in a lot of great work. Uh, I just a little side note, you know, um, and. I don't mean to like bring the room down or whatever, but you know, it's a shame that like, you know, not that I don't like Akio Otsuka, you know, as the choice for the role, but uh, man, I really wish Keiji Fujiwara was still alive today because I think he also would have been like a great candidate for Jigen because I, I think, I think his voice would have been perfect as well. But again, sadly, he has passed away at this point. So, you know, I'm, I can't wait to see how Otsuka like handles the role. Like so far, again, I, I think from the little I've listened to, he sounds pretty good. So I, I, I think he'll be a good replacement. Absolutely. Now, speaking of people, though, who may be retiring from the industry soon, Yoshiyuki Tomino recently announced that he probably only has a few years left. Like he gave like three years up as a, as a, num- as a time frame to continue working in anime because uh, an interview he gave with Wiki Playboy, he said he's been suffering from health complications. He anticipates, yeah, he won't be able to work any longer because he has spinal canal stenosis, which is uh, narrowing of the spaces within the spinal column, which causes pressure on the nerves and it causes a lot of pain and numbing in his rear and leg that makes it difficult for him to move freely. And so, you know, he marks when he sees videos of himself walking around, he, he thinks he looks like, you know, a sick person. But yeah, otherwise, like he says, like, uh, you know, he's otherwise healthy. But um, yeah, his body felt heavy, you know, after receiving his vaccination shots. Uh, so, you know, he's has some health complications, you know, because of his uh, stenosis. So it probably is it's going to be a breaking point. And he is quite an elderly person. Like he's almost 80. He's 79. So, you know, working until his 80s in the industry, you know, is quite an impressive feat. But yeah, so, you know, he's been uh, working on some current Gundam projects. But uh, I think his next thing is probably going to be his last thing. And then, yeah, he kind of has, like, this contemplative uh, thing, like, in his, like, interview about, like, 
oh, he now, oh, now he understood the position that Tesca was when he directed his, like, uh, when Tomino directed to try to see if he had a for him. And, like, his feelings of, like, now being kind of a hands-off creator with the, the franchises he created with. And now kind of looking at the things that other people are making and kind of uh, having to be restrained from expressing his feelings as a creator. And then, like, he's like, man, now I've really reached a certain age. I'm, I'll be 80 soon. So it's like, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, like it's sad to see that Tomino will probably have to retire from anime soon. But, you know, he, he has promised that he's going to crush Demon Slayer and Evangelion while he's still alive and can make it work. <laughs> so, you know, he has a few years left to do that. But he says, you know, if I didn't think that ambitiously, I couldn't keep making TV anime past age of 80. So, hey, good for him. You know, he's still got the fire and gumption to continue producing work right up until, you know, when he needs to stop. So, yeah. I'm very excited to see what work comes out from him in the next couple of years, but also we'll sad to see him retire when he eventually does. But in general, though, I just wish uh, him to be in good health and uh, hope that uh, he takes care of his health. But I'm excited for, you know, a lot of upcoming Gundam projects, especially uh, Yasuko Yashikazu's new uh, Gundam film that he's working on. It's going to come out in 2022, which is going to be uh, Gundam Kukuru's Doan's Island, which is an adaptation, a retelling of the infamous 15th episode of Gundam, which Tomino hates so much it has never been included on any home video releases uh, or streaming or anything. Like, he's really buried it uh, because it just is a very poor looking episode and not one of the best stories either but it looks like they are going to basically redo that episode as a full-length feature film and i don't know necessarily how that's gonna work they're gonna have to really expand on it but i think that's uh very funny well it's it's going to be an adaptation of a five-volume long manga, so presumably there was plenty of story in that manga they were able to to get out of what was established in this one episode about this character called Kukuru's Doan, who was like the a Zeon pilot to like a bandit post and like became this basically king of an island, essentially <laughs> random like deserted island and whatnot. So like, yeah, I think that's a very fun idea. I'm definitely looking forward to watching this when it comes out, especially. Yoshikazu of course, like a veteran of Gundam, wrote Gundam the Orochin, like my favorite uh, interpretation of Gundam. And yeah, like just an incredible director and writer. So very excited to see his film adaptation of this. And then uh, there's also going to be a new Gundam TV anime, The Witch from Mercury, that's going to come out in 2022 too. So it's the first new TV Gundam anime since uh, Iron Blooded Orphans, which it's hard to believe it's been that long since Iron Blooded Orphans ended. But yeah, looking forward to checking that out as well. Like, glad to see uh, Gundam return to TV. And now we have kind of reached towards the end of our uh, news coverage by uh, we're going to go over some recent character popularity polls that have come out. Starting off with the Black Clover 5th character popularity poll, which had uh, some surprising results that were quite fun. So starting off, uh, at, let's go from bottom to top here. Uh, number 10, we had uh, Nero, or Sekre. She got about 36,000 votes. Uh, 9 was Yuno with 38,000 votes. So Yuno, you know, surprisingly, not among the top 3 or top 5. Quite a surprise, but eight was Charlotte. She got about thirty nine thousand six hundred three votes. Yanni came in at 
number seven, also surprisingly for the first time since these polls started not in like the top five, top three. He only got 44,000. I mean, got 44,884 votes, but came in at number seven. Beaten out by Gauche, of all people, at number six. He had 53,507 votes. And Luck, at number five, 58,874 votes. Gauche has not been in this story for a while, so I'm surprised that he's ranked so high and higher than Yami. But, well, I guess people really like Gauche in Japan. It's it's the curly mop top hair. That's that's yeah. what does it. I bet. <laughs> Maybe. And then luck. Luck has done a little more at least. So and luck has always been one of the most popular characters. He's always been like a a higher ranker. So I can get it. I'm still very surprised and impressed that Dante is at number four at fifty nine thousand four hundred forty five votes. Like I am incredibly surprised. Like we on the last poll, he was also incredibly popular. But like I never would have pegged him as the most popular member of the you know uh, triad. Like I I, I over Zenon and, and Vanica. Like I guess yeah, people really like his design or his presence, uh, his role as a villain. But certainly though, I think that the fights that he's involved in as an antagonist are some of the strongest in the series. Both Yami and Asta versus him, and then later Magna versus him were really strong. I, I was just about to ask, because I, I haven't caught up with Black Clover yet either. Uh, I was just about to ask if he was the same guy that fought Yami and Asta, because I, I remember that fight being very, very good. Oh, yeah. And so is the follow-up fight with Magna versus Dante. It's just so... What's such a surprising fight, but so good. Really, really liked it. And then uh, we have at number three, we have Noct, who came in at 62,268 points. Noct, kind of immediately a fan-favorite popular character right after Gate. I think he's a very fun, cool character, too, uh, where he's you know, interesting backstory as well. So yeah, I enjoy the character and not surprised he's ranked so high. And number two, we have Asta, who got 67,965 votes. Asta, of course, as the main character, has always been near the top of not the top of all cities' popularity polls. Usually it's like a toss-up between Yami and Asta as number one. But this time, for this poll, it's been near them because by quite a margin... We have in the number one spot for Backward's fifth popularity poll, Noel. It was the number one highest voted character, the most popular character, with over 80,000 votes, which I am very happy about because Noel is probably my favorite character in Black Clover. I think she has a fantastic arc. She had a very satisfying, like, victory against, uh, Vegical and Vanica recently. And yeah, like, it's, I'm very happy to see uh, so much Noel love and support thrown her way. And yeah, she she uh, got like 13,000 more votes than Aston number two. So very, very popular. Woof. Yeah, that's a that's a huge margin. I was not again, I, I haven't caught up on Black Clover yet. But you know, as much as I like Noel, I was never expecting her to be at the top. That That is quite the feat. Yeah, because Noel has been like up and down and like, a lot of these polls because you know like she's always been in the top 10 but like you know she has often been on the top out of the top five in some of these polls so she, you know her rankings have been a little inconsistent but like recently I, I, yeah she's like number one and that's really cool mm-hmm. and by quite a margin too so yeah i like seeing that for her especially because uh you know she has always been like one of my favorite characters, if not my absolute favorite character 
<laughs> now to talk about some of the other results, uh, we have like results through the top 60. We won't go through all of them, but some other interesting placements would be like Hono is was number 11, which is surprising. Again, speaking of characters who have not been in the series for a long time, but I guess people still really like her. Mario Leona was number 12. Disappointing that she didn't get into the top 20, but not surprised. Uh, she hasn't necessarily been around that much recently. Zedon was at number 13. Again, I'm very surprised Dante is significantly more popular than him, but like, you know, he's still pretty popular being in the top 15, basically. Uh, Lee was number 14. He, I was surprised he didn't make it in the top 10 because I thought he was a pretty compelling character, but... You know, I guess uh, people just favor other characters more, including Noct, who was introduced around the same time as him. Amosa was number 15. Uh, the Makabe, the guy who is like basically that member of Snow, the band, uh, is at number 16. So I don't know if that's a meme vote or what. But <laughs> Magna is number 17. I wish Magna was higher because he's had such a great character moment uh, with the fight with Dante. But regardless, still got he's in the top 20. Uh, William Wanchins is number 18, also hasn't been in the story a while, but yeah, still a pretty popular character. And then, uh, Finral is 19, and Xerxes is 20. And, uh, there are other interesting results from there on, like, uh, Vanica, uh, is like the least highest ranking member to try it at number 22. Uh, but yeah, basically, the, those were the main results I wanted to highlight. But yeah. I thought it was a pretty cool popularity poll. Some su- big surprises in terms of characters who didn't place as high as I thought and characters who placed way higher than I thought. Very cool. Uh, also very cool is that we've gotten Ayakashi Triangle's first character popularity poll. Like, uh, the series just recently held one and the results came out and we basically got the first, like, top 11 uh, available to us so at number 11 is yayoi who is one of suzu's suzu's friends her main character given is that she like sexually harasses the other girls so she's not necessarily one of my favorite characters but she's at number 11 she got like 247 votes at number 10 is the male version of monster they're doing the thing like rom like in some series like uh, namely, Rama half would be the things that Rama as a boy and Rama as a girl would be counted as different characters. And similarly in Ayakashi Triangle, it seems like they're counting Matsuri as a girl and Matsuri as a boy as different characters. So Matsuri, it is male body, isn't at number 10 with about 269 votes. Okay, see, I, I haven't been reading Ayakashi Triangle, so I, I genuinely thought people voted for Train Hartnet from Black Cat for a second. <laughs> I mean, Matsuri and Train, I guess, do have uh, have some similar designs. And then we have uh, Matsuri's mom at uh, number nine. She has a name. I forget, though, what her first name is. But she comes in at number nine, uh, 383. Then we have uh, the first Ayakashi medium. She comes in at number eight. I also don't remember her. Her name at the top of my head. Unfortunately, because Wiz did not publish like the results of this in English, I don't have like the translation of like character names and stuff like that. And I also have kind of fell it off on Aikashi Triangle recent weeks, so I kind of forgotten a few character names. But yeah, the first Aikashi medium is at number eight uh, with three hundred eighty-seven votes. Then we have Mayo, who is at number 7 with 842 votes. We have Soga at number 6 at 1,157 votes. 
Uh, Shirogane comes in at number five with 1,263 votes. And then Lou comes in at number four with uh, 1,416 votes. And then our top three is Roshka at number three at 1,579 votes. Matsuri in his female body in 2,672 votes. And number one is uh, Suzu at 2,733 votes. So it was a close race between Matsuri and Suzu for number one. But Suzu actually won out as number one. And I I actually like that because I do think Suzu is a compelling and very interesting character. Uh, even more so than Matsuri. So I actually like seeing her in number one. And then the rest of these results are not too surprising. I could Triangle doesn't have really that many characters. Basically all the main characters of prominence and note ended up in this top ten. Roshka is a pretty recent character. But, you know, she left, leaves, left an impression. So it makes sense that she's also a pretty high ranker. But yeah, I thought uh, these were interesting results for the first Ayakashi Triangle popularity poll. I will be curious to see how, you know, in the series, uh, if when more characters are introduced, potentially, uh, what the results of the next popularity poll would be for this. Like, uh, and how things would shake up, whether Suzu will maintain her, her number one spot in the character rankings. But basically, it really does feel like there's a big gap between the most popular characters uh, in like the top two towards like the next kind of tier from three to six and then onwards from there. But yeah. Oh, and uh, Matsuri's mom's name was Matoy. I forgot. But yeah, and she was number nine. So yeah, that does it for the Ayakashi Triangle popularity poll and our popularity poll catch-ups. But the last piece of news that we'll leave you off with is a cool new contest that the Pokemon trading card game is doing where you can draw an illustration for this contest that is based on like one of a couple of different Pokemon and send that in. The theme of this uh, contest is that you draw basically a moment in this Pokemon's daily life. And it's basically open to everyone in the Japan and the United States. Basically, you can choose one of like eight different Pokemon to draw about. And it's either Bulbasaur, Charizard, Pikachu, Arcanine, the Galarian Rapidash, Scizor, Greninja, and Cramorant. And yeah, basically, you need to draw not only the Pokemon, but the background. And you should draw it in good qualities, you know, can be printable. Uh, you should probably only draw one Pokemon Pro illustration so it could make it clear what Pokemon's the subject illustration. But uh, so long as you can tell what the main subject is, you can also draw additional Pokemon. And you can have like up to three unique entries per person. And they can be the same or different Pokemon. So you can basically submit three different drawings for this contest. You basically can submit to this if you are like a legal adult in Japan or the US. You have until basically the end of uh, January 2022 to get your submissions in. And the contest uh, officially starts on October 13th, 2021. So there'll still be a little bit of time as you're listening to this before this contest really even gets going in terms of when you can submit. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool contests like you can have your card illustration idea you know submitted and potentially be printed up as a card and you can win uh, some cool prize money uh, and the process like grand prize winner will receive like fifteen thousand dollars the runner-up will receive thirteen thousand uh, i mean uh three thousand dollars the second runner-up is going to receive one thousand dollars and the judges award 
uh, will receive $500. So potentially like uh, 20 people can receive uh, prize money from submitting their designs in. So again, I think this is a cool illustration contest idea. I would love to participate and submit entries myself. And yeah, it'd be cool uh, to see like what winners uh, will be selected and get turned into promo cards. And yeah, I just think it's a fun little contest idea that I want to shout out there for anyone interested in entering. But with that, shout it out. That about does it for our news roundup. And now we can quickly head into some uh, stray community shout outs that I want to give out. And uh, there are kind of a scattershot of different ones I have for this time, not really focused on a particular team. However, one that I want to start off with, I mentioned in, I mean, on the subject of Gundam and, you know, uh, giant mecha shows that we just discussed, the Tanami Fable podcast has kind of been going through kind of a series of podcasts where they're highlighting different mecha anime. And they started off with kind of a general roundtable discussion where they discussed like their favorite uh, mechas in general, like their favorite giant robots, just in terms of the the actual giant robots and their designs and uh, their functions functionality and whatnot and so that was a fun piece that like just you know highlighted a bunch of cool mechs in different anime not just anime but also shows like megas xlr got a shout out there of course so yeah so uh, a good roundup of some of the coolest uh, mecha designs that have been in uh mainly Tanami, but also in other shows and in addition to that episode they also did a follow-up where they basically uh did a retrospective on Gundam and Gundam's like history in America and the state of Gundam as a franchise and its popularity and so that was also a cool retrospective from folks who have been following Gundam for a long time and you know just discussing like its successes it's the kind of all the waves of like its popularity over the years that was a really cool one to listen to and related to Gundam, of course, is uh, I, there was a video I really enjoyed from Part-Time Samurai that I explored, you know, going back and also related to Tanami, like what happened to the original Mobile Suit Gundam when it was broadcast on Tanami back in the day and why it was taken off kind of abruptly before it even finished its run on Tanami. And of course, the answer to that was 9-11. But it was interesting to see part-time Samurai do the research to, like, identify, okay, like, why was Gundam taken off TV? When was the decision made? And what were the reasons, like, and were the reasons justified? I thought that was a good look back of, like, this kind of program decision that affected the broadcast of the original Gundam and in many ways affected potentially like Gundam's continuing success on Cartoon Network back in the day at that time. So that was kind of interesting retrospective. And speaking of interesting retrospectives on stuff that are on Tanami, Mr. Fusion of uh, Dragon Ball Detention, of course, has been doing videos on the anime version of the Cell arc. I think a break from the manga to go talk about the anime again. Uh, his dissection of the Soul Arts anime original content is very good in terms of like evaluating what is uh, what works, what you know is uh, superfluous, had a very hot take or that's kind of honestly a mild take in my opinion that the driving episode is not that 
good. It's like okay, but it's not like the funniest or best filler in the series. Like he points out that he actually thinks that the episode before the driving episode, which shows like Vegeta's training before to prepare for the androids, was more interesting because it, it established and developed more of Vegeta Bulma's relationship as well as Yamcha kind of letting go of his relationship with Bulma. And that was kind of interesting and welcome, like, character development to justify the big character shifts for those characters in the Androids arc. So I thought that was a good observation. In general, Lance does a great job of just identifying when filler can be enjoyable and useful and when it can be an obtrusion and a waste of time. And so I think he did a great job in evaluating that for the Cell arc as well as evaluating, like, you know, the art and animation aspects of it and how it fared during this arc especially moving off of that into discussions into some other videos that i found interesting i really like gaijin goomba's uh recent videos identifying and evaluating like how accurate to uh his ninja root snake eyes and gi joe is basically a two-part video like evaluating the the roots of snake eyes and how he's depicted as a character across different interpretations of gi joe and i thought that was a really cool video just to explore like how his character has been portrayed over the years and you know uh gaijin's perspective is ultimately you know snake eyes is a more accurate portrayal of ninja and a lot of uh, interpretation iterations than one might expect so i thought that was pretty cool and finally on the subject of like more American animation my kind of final shout is that i've been really uh getting to more of ls marks videos recently just started uh, ended up watching them and i really appreciate his takes on adult animation shows and evaluating some that work and some that don't and recently uh you know i really enjoyed his video on the season finale of Rick and Morty and evaluating like whether its approach to using meta humor in the show, even during serious storylines, maybe to its detriment, which is a, a conversation I think is worth breaking up, a topic I think is worth breaking up, because I, I do, even though I really love the season finale of uh, Rick and Morty, I do think that its resistance to genuinely embracing a dramatic or serious moments without underlining or undermining kind of the artificiality of how the story is written or like the fact that the characters are self-aware that they're in a TV show and make references to the meta of their show. I do think that can undermine how emotionally invested you can get in the story and how seriously you can take the story. And so I do think this was a pretty fair evaluation of that and discussion of that. Because ultimately, like, the perspective is positive on the specific episode of the season finale. Because it was a really good episode, but like just some of the moments of the show in recent seasons where it's like... It feels like it is struggling to reconcile what it wants to be, like live up to fan expectations of wanting to explore more of the lore and develop the characters. And they just want to do more episodic adventures and not take things as seriously. But then when they do do a serious storyline, they have to point that out and try and undermine it with many humor. Like, I, I think that was a good observation of like how the show might be shooting itself in the foot by being so reluctant to just embrace having genuine sincere moments between characters not under not like underscored or undermined by moments of humor but yeah those are just the shout outs that i want to give out for this episode and i think that we will now just head into the wrap-up of the show
Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, just like we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, look forward to our next episode where we talk about all the pubs and one-shots that we still have to talk about. So many that I do not have time to list them all. Uh, but suffice to say, we are going to be talking about stuff from Shonen Jump, even uh, from Starford Books, and as well as Comic Key and uh, a bunch of other places that I'm probably forgetting off the top of my head, just, just to name a few. We have a lot of really interesting like titles to talk about uh, next episode. I've actually really enjoyed a lot of them, just putting that out there. And yeah, so look forward to that. And uh, yeah, I guess until then, we'll just let you guys know where you can find us on the podcast and everything. So uh, Lum, why don't you go ahead and start us off? You can find me at Lumrayasha on Twitter. It is Lumrayasha to write it. Please like Amish Relation and Analyst. Where it is Lumrayasha. That's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all that We've got a lot of books coming in. A lot of reviews going out. So look forward to it on there. That's where you can find the other podcasts I do related to this show that I do independently. Including one of those movies. Which we primarily discuss anime movies. And hashtag Lum Squad. The podcast where we discuss the wonderful lucky world. We can have she's Yuri We've been having a lot of fun going through with his release of the manga and we've been starting up reviewing the movies now that they're on Crunchyroll and having a blast with that so look forward to more episodes of that coming out and you can also check out my art if you like the art I draw for our podcasts and the illustrations and animations I make in general you can check all that out on my Instagram asset artworks all right but as for me I'm Colton you can find me on Twitter at sniperking 323 I also uh do my own fair share of podcasts besides this one uh, that you could find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, even past podcasts that I don't do anymore, or even a lot of the guest spots that I've done over the years on other podcasts. Uh, I try to keep that page as up to date as possible. Basically, if you're interested in any other podcast I happen to be involved in, again, you could find links to them over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and the podcast in general, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast early before anyone else. Basically, depending on when we have certain episodes edited, and if we happen to have them edited before they're supposed to go up on our main feed, we'll post them on our Patreon first. But like I said, that really does depend kind of on our schedules and like how much we get done at any point in time. So basically, if you want like a more reliable like stream of content every month, you want to sign up for our $5 tier in which we upload a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. And yeah, I, we talked about it at the top of the show too, but uh, you can listen to our latest bonus podcast that we recorded with our good friend from Friendship Ever Victory, Maxi Bernard, where we not only got to talk about their thoughts on Barrage because they couldn't be on the uh, Barrage episode of Manga Mavericks, uh, but we also got to talk about our thoughts on Kohei Horikoshi's original My Hero one-shot published in 2008, basically the prototype one-shot for what would become My Hero Academia, as we talk about our thoughts on that and how it compares to the actual first chapter of My Hero Academia as it became later on. And yeah, the, basically, if you enjoyed our Kohei Horikoshi Month of Podcast this past month, and you want sort of like a cap off to that series of podcasts, go listen to that. I had a lot of fun recording that in particular. And just in general, we have all kinds of bonus podcasts available for you 
at the $5 tier if you sign up. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way to support us and the show. Helps us keep the lights on, etc., etc. And yeah, we just we just appreciate any support that you happen to throw us our way. But as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash alt.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we upload different excerpts of the podcast and sometimes even some exclusive content. Um, again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Tell us what you're reading. What, what are you reading right now? Uh, what do you want us to read and cover on the show? Uh, email us anything about manga, the podcast, or whatever. We love getting emails and we love reading them on the show. So again, that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Send us your emails. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a lot of different podcast platforms at this point, uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the visibility of our show. If you leave us a rating and a review, it helps us get out there to more listeners. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys because whatever feedback you leave us, positive or negative, you know, we try to use that as best we can to make the show that much better, as best as possible um, but yeah, I think that's going to be about it for the show. This has been episode 176 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 177. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.